tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie on this Friday morning and welcome along to Tip Today 1800 938 007 our free phone number won't cost you to make a call Emma is uh, looking after the ship today coming up on the show I'll be speaking to Johnny Luby for his weekly roundup in just a few moments time we will bring you the news that uh, Racket Hall the only uh, active hotel in Ross Grey will be repurposing its 40 rooms to provide accommodation for 160 asylum seekers Additionally, Tipperary Couple will feature on the upcoming episode of Room to Improve and uh, we will have them live in studio with us. And our Friday panel will delve into the hot topics of the week. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Johnny Luby joins me now. Good morning to you, Johnny. Good morning, Fernand. You're welcome back from your long holiday. My little break, Johnny. My, I, I needed a break from you more than anybody else, I think. <laughs> where did you go? I must ask you out fair and square. Everybody wants to know, where did you go? I, I, you went, to, I went to bed, Johnny, for... for, for for a full week and I stayed in it to be honest with you but there you go I know you want to start with condolences today Johnny that's right yeah, friend, to the, uh, I suppose to the many people that lost loved ones during the last couple of weeks uh, especially I suppose since Christmas you know and Golden is no different uh, there with uh, Mary Keithy and Kilfiegel mm. and Sheila Murnane only across the road yeah. and then of course yesterday we heard of the death of Jane Fitzgerald uh, the mother of mum of uh, Michael and uh, John, the two councillors, and of course, Vinny and James, and uh, you have uh, uh, Eddie and Tom, and uh, of course, Declan as well, and then you have uh, Mary and uh, Anne as well. So uh, they're a big family, and uh, look, hey, it is like everything else. She used to tune in every Friday morning, she'd say to Michael, will you turn on, turn on that fella? Will you turn on that fella? She said, till I see what's going on in the county, you know. And yes. look, hey, she was a wonderful neighbour, but uh, she was a great woman for the crack, you know, and that she lived life to its fullest. And uh, indeed, on a few Friday mornings, I went into their hall in Golden at the last Friday of the month where they had a gathering of the over 60s, you know. Yeah. And Jane was very funny. She'd say, come on, Catherine, I think we are too young to be here. <laughs> well, Emily, she died age uh, 94 coming up, but she she loved yeah. their life and that. And as I said, reared a wonderful family. And uh, her husband, Michael, died uh, maybe in, I think it was April 1981. Nick Fitzgerald was a counsellor as well. And when mm-hmm. he died then, Michael, of course, got to see him. He has been there for 42 or three years and a wonderful counsellor. Uh, I would say something like Timmy Flyde, even when he retires, will still go to Michael Fitzgerald to get something course, done. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, that, and it didn't matter a damn with Michael or John, for that matter, uh, whether a fellow was renowned to be Fianna Fáil or Labour or Sinn Féin or the Green Party or whatever else, if Michael Fitzgerald thought that a job needed to be done, 
uh, he'd certainly make inquiries to see can such a job be done. So our thoughts are with the Fitzgerald family today. The funeral is this evening there in David St. Cashel from 4 o'clock to half 7. Mm. Please God, and I know well that there'll be a huge crowd. Oh, there. it'll be a huge funeral, like, well, yeah. You know, when they're stationed in Clan Melvis, Johnny's and uh, Declan mm. in Cashel and uh, Thomas in Borlehan and Eddie's in Tipperary Town uh, and that they're looked at and Anna's over in Emily and Mary's in Clare. So, you know, mm. they have huge contacts and Mm. As I said, hey, if Michael could just maybe three odd thousand votes from, uh, as I often say it, from the corner in Cashel, Brosnan's uh, mm. pub over to Emily, it will show you the, the, the way that he's got and received in our neck of the woods there in West Tipperary. But our sympathies to them on the death of Jane will be missed big time, especially by the family and neighbours and Condolences to to all of the family there from all of us here at uh, Tip FM as well. The county board draw in Ballingarry the other night. You were there, Johnny. That's right. Yeah, friend, because I was. And I went to see an old friend of yours on the way, Corey Hanley. Ah, how we see it all. How is he? Absolutely. I know he's probably tuned in now. He's absolutely flying at times. Excellent. Looking marvellous in the assessment unit there in cash. He'll be out there maybe in a couple of weeks' time and uh, and getting on right well. and I was telling him that we were on the road to uh, Ballangarry for the county board draw and that we're going a new route, friend. We went up as far as, because I looked at his map at Tipperary, no phone rent, and I said, if I go beyond the house and jock into Littleton, you can turn right in Littleton, and lo and behold, friend, the first crossroad I came to, no signpost, right? Oh, <laughs> friend, and so I took a chance. Anyway, Does that bring you over by Ballybeg there? Is that... It's a place called Ballinunty. Ballinunty, into, yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight into Bellinunty. Now, I could have been in Belly Big, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I just said to the fellow that was with me here, I said, let's get out. I said, face up that way anyway. Of course, friend, the first place we stopped was in the Commons. Yeah, great spot. a pub there in the Commons. I didn't know that. Yeah, there you are, no. And, and of course, we had to frequent it just to say we were there <laughs> and uh, done the... Done the uh, uh, Bell and Gary Lotto, but didn't get any phone call yet. And then we headed on to the Minos Rest, uh, a beautiful pub. And you'd often see lorries on the road, Rhine's Transport. Sure, Actually, they're yeah. involved, I think they're involved somewhere there in the Minos Rest. It's a smashing pub, uh, pub with all the old photos found on the wall of people that worked in the mines years and years ago in hard times. Mm. They were wonderful people. Uh, and that. so then we got down to the county board draw itself, and of course, Tim Floyd ran the show there. And of course, he's off to drink. We did get him to sing Gay Old, old Dear Old Newport, Newport Town. Town. Yeah. Uh, and that I told a few uh, home truths then in uh, Yelms <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Brian, I must say thanks to Bridget and Vincent in Cashel for getting us, us back safe and sound to the city of the Kings. But uh, look, a wonderful place, Ballangarry, and I uh, suppose uh, next time around, friend, the the uh, county board draws up in a place called Clock Jordan. Now, I don't know whether Clock Jordan is in the parish of Borough Sakane or is it uh, maybe, I don't know, is it Rusk? I look that side of that neck of the woods up there. I it's, wouldn't a great, really know. it's a great area, though. The, the, the home of Thomas area. McDonough, and yeah. Yeah, you see, whoever wins the care. Uh, normally that it's back in that following area then the month later. So, friend, hopefully it will come to an account. God, I hope so, Johnny. I hope so. And yourself, but you I see, know. I made a bad mistake. I bought my ticket from Nelly. Oh, Jesus. Nelly O'Connor, so, yeah. <laughs> 
me. And you'd hear lads saying, Clyde is a great man to pull a stroke. Listen, there we are. <laughs> You're not <laughs> supposed to say that, Johnny. There <laughs> we are. And, and we can't come out for the bloody care. We can't even come out for a look and see it. Well, you see, that's oh, yeah. because you insulted Timmy so much over the years, I you do. see. That's hey, there's a girl in Cap White, of Celia. You know her. Yeah, Celia? Yeah. Oh, I do, of course. Of course I do. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Cap of the Pops. Yeah. She told me to remind you that Cap White Community Centre, Social Dancing, that's the 20th right. of January. Music is by Marion Kirby. Dancing mm. is 9 to 11, talked in those public teas going on, etc. And it's all for a 10 euro wonderful call. Oh, that's great, yeah. great to see them starting up there. That's fantastic, yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. And, uh, friend, I went to the, uh, the week before uh, Christmas, I went to see my good old friend over there in Killinall, Tommy O'Kane, and then we went to see his daughter. She's up in Glengoal, Katrina O'Kane. And I can tell you this now, after having a good breakfast at Tommy Gain. Lo and behold, when we arrived at the daughter's place about ten past nine, we had tea and rhubarb tart with cream. <laughs> Down on top for of breakfast. The and rashers. <laughs> and well, no, it was, well, we had the sausages and rashers that Tommy okay. All right. But, uh, anyhow, I was telling herself, uh, uh, my missus, uh, of what uh, I had, you know, and then maybe the following day she was introducing me to somebody. Yeah. Inside and tipped down, she said, uh, and this is my insignificant other half. <laughs> <laughs> and our exact words were, she said, the man that thinks he's immune to everything, she said. She rolled it all off. He can drink pints of Guinness, she said. He can drink pints of coals. This man, she said, he can drink Irish coffees. She says, he never helped with the word bad uh, for your immune system and everything else. But anyway, I said, look, Captain, thanks very much, you know. But anyhow, friend. Uh, hey, listen, I, I have a report here. Did you did you show off your long johns up in Ballingarry? It says here there's there's women still in shock up there. <laughs> did that happen, Johnny? I did. Oh, I Lord, oh, Lord. A true story. Uh, I'll tell you some other time. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, 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 well, I did check and I had the long johns on. So anyway, uh, everybody seems to be. Anyway, Catherine has gone to mess. So, uh, oh, that's what, speaking of Catherine, what did you get her for Christmas? Can you... Oh, friend, see, every man loves... It's like the fellow at the pint to pint long ago, he used to say, every man loves his wife, and I love every man's wife. <laughs> uh, every time he says, I get into the bed, she gets out. But that was the fellow uh, at the pint to pint years ago in Cashel and all them wonderful places. But, yeah, friend, I got her two things. I got her uh, a food mixer. Mm. She was ab- so romantic, absolutely John. delighted. No, she was not. She was. Was she? But then she was disgusted with the second present. All right. Directions how to use it. <laughs> she never lets it down. Did you, did you have a very quiet Christmas after that? Would you say hello to my friend Paddy Collins because I met him down in in um, in, in, in Cork, the, the man who wrote the poem about you and all oh, of that. Christ, you, oh, yeah, Paddy, one of the Christ, Fremont, oh, one of yeah. Fremont, that's yeah, it. Uh, yeah. I thought the Greyhounds down to a fellow in Fremont years ago, a wonderful place down there. It's not near Charleville, I think. It is. It is indeed, yeah. It is oh, indeed. Uh, of course, friend. Uh, yes, uh, Paddy is a, an avid listener. But the, but the, one, the one morning he didn't listen was the the, the morning you read out some, some <laughs> of the verses. <laughs> But anyway, friend, uh, yeah, mentioning Charleville, of course, they're in the uh, Hearty Cup semi-final now. Yes. And Nina meet Charleville now in the semi-final, and Tullus CBS then would look to have a tough draw because they take on the might of Earthskull Reach. On Wednesday, last, the day before yesterday, I went down to a bench to see Nina CBS playing, uh, playing and they looked absolutely brilliant. Now, the opposition, I'd say, was the, I think the CBC in Cork, they 
in my book, they didn't turn up on the day, and that's the way youngsters mm. can go. Mm. But uh, Nina looked very good and very well coached. And uh, like, well, I would ex- now I haven't seen Charleville, but uh, I would think that it would take a, a good team to uh, stop Nina from progressing to the final. Uh, Tullus CBS had a fine win over uh, Saint Flans of uh, Ennis, mm. and. Uh, well done to them. Look, we have two Tipperary teams not blowing our calls. We certainly need the youngsters coming through. Sure. We have two tip teams in uh, uh, in the last four, and you have uh, Arskull, Reach of Limerick, and you have Charleville, I suppose, on the court, Limerick border there. Uh, and that, so look, the very, I think that will be on in a couple of weeks' time. But I met Bridges. I think you had her on uh, Tip FM one morning. She's the photographer there from... Uh, oh, sure, I know Bridges Nina. well from Nina, of course. Yeah, yeah. A legend, a legend. Yeah. A legend, and she took my photo. I said, well, You better take it again because I better take the flag out of my house. <laughs> 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 anyway, Brian, uh, yeah, uh, so she can't go to see her beloved Nina playing Cashel tomorrow in oh. the in the second half of this rugby league. There'll be a huge crowd in Nina because she's gone to Toulon uh, to see for, for the game tomorrow, is it? Yeah, for the game tomorrow. Yeah. So, uh, a wonderful lady, hey. Porters are brilliant to look back on. Often you oh, look great. Did you did you see her book, Johnny? Did you see the book she she brought I, out a photograph? I did, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. You know it. Uh, brings back. Uh, brings back. Uh, uh, the man says uh, an ass load of memories. And of course, friend, last weekend uh, we had uh, Tipperary out in this monster league. I know it's not of any great significance, but nevertheless, it gives players a chance. Some of them to pull on a Tipperary jersey at senior level for the yeah. first time. And likewise with Waterford. And uh, listening to Tip FM, look, it was a good game under the conditions because there was many games and race meetings and the whole lot called off last Sunday due to the fog and frost etc mm-hmm. but uh, look tip the big thing about it is they made a great comeback down to 14 players mm-hmm. uh, and that and look if they can, there were certainly green shoots there mm-hmm. if they can get a couple of players off of that too sure it wouldn't to be great one. but did you see on social media again Johnny I mean you know all of the 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 adjudicators at the on the bar stools were out again, you know, with with dreadful comments. Look, the reality of it is, is that mm. they're in serious training. Mm. They have a big panel, and he has to give them all games here and there to see can he get his few players yes, out of it. Uh, and uh, there was a young Bonner playing with water and played well. That's Colin Bonner's young. Oh, is it? Ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. was playing centre of the field and look, uh, the fellas said the best of luck to them all. Tipper out this weekend, it's on Tip FM against Kerry. No disrespect to Kerry. We would expect to beat them, but our card was not from last year when they beat us. So uh, it's uh, it's yeah. uh, something to look forward to on Sunday uh, in Nina. And uh, yeah, friend, I'm just looking through the things here. The tallest race, uh, Clamel races were on yesterday. They had a final crowd that Willie Mullins uh, dominated the scene. I think he had three winners. On Sunday week, uh, January the uh, 20th, uh, we have, or January the 24th, mm. uh, uh, Tullus uh, holding their first meeting of the new year. And I have no doubt there'll be horses uh, on show that they will be going to Cheltenham in six or seven weeks' time, please God. Whether they're from Elliott or O'Grady's or Mullins or whatever the case may be, uh, it's a magnificent, as I often say, a magnificent place, friend. Wrap yourself up and take a good view of the Divis bit and things like that. Mm. Now, friend, I must say hello to a couple of listeners as well. Apart from Curry Handy that we wish the best of luck to, uh, Ellis Kennels in Latin, the people that look after your dog when you're going on holiday. Mm. They're tuned in every Friday morning. And hello to them. I met them in Thoreau last night. They left a pint there for me. And of course, the dental man there across from uh, Bob Fitzgerald and Clan Mill. Tom, what do you do? 
a what? bottle of whiskey. <laughs> a chin to the great country. And we were above in plastic, and friend. Uh, you go up by the milestone. I know it well, yeah. Yeah, yeah you turn a sharp right. Uh, that's the mean one, but a sharp rise again brings you up to this beautiful place, Glastrick, and then we give uh, maybe a couple of hours up there uh, and that, but uh, we had Mick uh, Fitzpatrick, a fine old scout up there, listens to you every Friday morning. He's a great care player, uh, a good man to have an old fiver on a horse or a dog, and uh, a fine old scout to meet that's Mick Fitzpatrick, and we'll certainly see him again. Uh, I want to ask you, how did Joe Hammerfield stuff come out for you? Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. There, there was so much of it that I shared it with Nicola downstairs, who looks after us here, and uh, right. yeah, and we both enjoyed it. So it was absolutely right. fantastic. Yeah, friend, I'm hoping to get to here tonight. Is, isn't isn't the girl that dancing here tonight? It is, you know, to the best of my knowledge, with Eddie Eddie Golden is Eddie there. Eddie Golden, yeah, yeah, yeah I, it is indeed. I, I I'll I'll try and get down there, and I will report back to you what kind of a musician he is, because I know what kind of a girl he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's very good at both, in fairness to But listen, will you stay over? Because we're in care tomorrow night in Care House with uh, Michael Collins and Muriel and myself. So, yeah, tomorrow night. And friend, I think, yeah. uh, are you having a big kind of a dance then in, is it Kilcordon or something like that sometime in May? Or did I see it on a poster? I know where it's I'm not sure about Marge. I think that's tomorrow night, the Winter Ball. Yeah, it's in the, oh, the Care winter. House. Oh, that's yeah, oh, Care House Hotel ball. tomorrow night. You'll have to come, Johnny. You'll have to oh, come. Jesus. Friend, listen to me as this that's, is... That's uh, a lovely way to say no, but there you go on. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'd like Christ. <laughs> you no. might turn up. Uh, uh, what's the is after what? drink? Uh, Tony Coney. Uh, d- no way. Yes. Is he? He's because the cows are gone into the maternity ward. The post of <laughs> them is, expect- is expected about the 24th of January. And three days next week, he's going down to Sergeant Murchin in the maternity ward in Clansville <laughs> to see if he's doing it right himself. But listen, we didn't we get Trevor uh, in the Orleans to do a Trevor McInerney, grind- yeah. grinder with a toast at the fire. <laughs> We told, uh, you know, you, uh, you know uh, the grinder has another connotation now, don't you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you, but go on anyway. Yes. So and you had grinder at the fire. Yeah. Yeah. The fire was, was a bit warm, and uh, the fox were the, only the small one. So we went away and got a pitchfork. Right. And Coney stood back about five yards from the fire, and he had Anne O'Connell watching the thing, see when it was ready for. <laughs> putting butter on it and the whole lot. Friend, it was absolutely fantastic. I told my missus uh, when I came back, she says, another thing you're doing wrong. <laughs> so I can't do anything right. But yeah, he's off the drink fair plate because of the, uh, uh, genuinely, the cow's caving and things like that. Somebody wants to know, are you doing dry January? So you're not because you started in style in public houses. I'm, I'm, and... As man says, I'm drinking like a whore. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody wants to know, what did Catherine buy you for Christmas? <laughs> Long John. <laughs> Another festival. But, Brad, yes, uh, look, I'm just looking at you. I want to say thanks to the county council and the employees day and night for uh, doing their road, salt and sand. I mean, like, the, the roads were bad enough now, especially last weekend. Mm. Uh, and that the footpaths, I was in Cashel for breakfast there with a, a niece on, on the Sunday morning, and the footpaths were like glass. Mm. Uh, and that, but they don't go up into the side streets and that they just do the main street that which is fair enough they can't do everything but uh, it certainly worked from Golden into Cashel and Golden to Tipperary Town and all the other roads as well you know Frank is uh, Mr Butler gone from Butler's he is. DJ is gone and Marie, yeah, and the family. And we miss him dreadfully. I, I meet him every single morning there. 
Well, I'll tell you, Frank, yeah. I, I definitely want to side with what you're saying, because they have sincere thanks to them for a long number oh, of years. But Franny, he's yeah. tough going. When you have to be in at 5 o'clock in the morning, and, and when the shop closed, we'll say at 9 o'clock at night, and you're not finished until half 10 oh, or 11 o'clock, right, and back no. out again at 5. But DJ gave but, such employment there to local people, and young young g- girls and young lads going to college and all of that. You know, and up, up, right, up in all yeah, hours right. of the morning, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that, that uh, I think the new man uh, kept on a lot of the staff, if not a mall. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. so it looked the very best of luck to him. Dundrum is a great area, Frank. Oh, fantastic. All the things that they have going for them. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, so, Frank, sure. yeah, uh, I think I... I is that about it, my... Johnny? Yeah, you're, you're concerned about the war all over the world. I mean, what's happening in Palestine, and now we're hearing about Yemen and all of these things. Sure, Frank, the world is... Look, we're saying it the world. The world is in turmoil, and is, look... Yeah. You know, that I've been dreading my life, but what can we do about that? It could be a, another world war. You know, it is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It is unbelievable the refugees coming in and now seemingly that of that boat blowing Rossley yeah. and that was sad, you know, but now seemingly they're separated according to some reports gone missing and all of that. That's right, over, but, yeah, over half of them. You yeah. know, like, it is so hard to understand the whole thing. And, I, and again, I... Matty McGrath and myself, we'd often have our differences here and there. But, uh, I, like, he stands up and, to me, he's calling a spade a spade. Mm, yeah. You know, that's his mm. opinion. And, I look, I think that uh, they should have done what he said when we had 25,000 in here. And I'll tell you, they'll they flog you off the justice minister and the whole lot. It is part of our obligation and the whole lot. I mean, like, uh, there's other countries out there that I've never even heard of them. And how many countries have they travelled through to, to get to Ireland? Well, this is the point that's concerning a lot of people. The people you chat to in pubs, and God knows you're in enough pubs, would would they be would they would they be generally of the same opinion as as you there now? Is that what you're hearing from ordinary people out there? It Tony? is, yeah, from ordinary people. You see, Brent, I can't go back to the north, but six months ago, when this thing happened, especially below and Clare, where they put up silage round bales to stop uh, misfortune people from coming in, it was all down to a word called communication. It happened in Cashel, mm. almost. Mm. Only for the likes of Liam Brown and them were smart enough to be able to go see something was happening and they called this a big meeting. And it was well attended mm. by every, by as many Over people. Over 500 people, people yeah. But, like, it's down to communication. Look, everything seems to be told on a Friday morning that for, for the following two days, Monday. Mm. Yeah. Like, why they, they must have something in mind a month beforehand and just call a meeting of the councils inside in the likes of Cashflow to Prairie Town and say, look, lads, this is the position. And give them a but month. You see, the t is making the point, Johnny, that we don't have any right to veto who comes into our communities. And even if they call a meeting, it's just about to announce to people what the inevitable is. It's not It's not, not giving people a choice about this, you see. We, well, can't, we can't veto people coming in. Yeah, but friend, these are the people, we, that put those people in. Mm. And they should respect our opinions. Mm. That's my opinion. Our opinions should be respected and we should be treated as human beings as well and at least mm. show the common courtesy. To, uh, and what do you make of the argument, Johnny, that, you know, many of us went to the UK to earn a living and, you know, we depended on other countries. We went to the States, we went to Australia. What Does that hold water well, for you, that argument? You're talking to a man now that started work in Dublin uh, 50 years ago. My dad and mum, the lot of Milton, brought me up and I started work above as a training laboratory technician in Ballymun. I started at 9 o'clock, friend, and I was on time the very first morning. 
And at one o'clock, I went out on the, on the, there was no jewel carriage way on the main road and turned the lift back and got to Dinny Kennedy's the black mark on the engagement <laughs> at two o'clock. Left my good coat and all after me. <laughs> you worked a half day, one half day. <laughs> one half day, I, I gave in Dublin, friend. Listen to me, is this is bad. Uh, say, oh, what did the song say? Six long months, I gave in thing, long on the dance floor. Yeah, friend, I look, I, I, yeah. I've thrown this thing at us for bloody years. Mm. Uh, and that uh, uh, there were different times, Brian. It's different times now again. You know, and like have the government building these new houses, and they're all talking about it. They're confused as with figures and the whole bloody lot. Just, just their motto is: if we can't convince the country people, we confuse them. So, and they're throwing out this thing. I don't see it. I mean, any new house I see going up is somebody that has is borrowing up to the hill yeah. to build the house themselves. I'm wondering where all these houses are going that they're talking about. But Johnny, anyway. I, I have to go now. But look, thanks for that, Johnny, and always a pleasure. And thanks for cheering oh, us up as friend. well. Yeah. yeah, I'm just, I, I was disappointed you didn't ask me because uh, to know what colour was the pudding. <laughs> because we can't say black. Anymore. Don't start now. Don't no, get me uh, into uh, any more trouble now. Please. I'm not getting on yet, but I'm entitled to my opinion. Somebody asked Go on, so. Yes. I'm having put I'm having putting that's not white. <laughs> and I said the same thing with wine. They asked me that I want a glass of wine and she said red or white. I said, No discrimination with me. I said, What I want is wine that's not red. <laughs> Good luck, Johnny. Good luck. I have the ways and means of doing things. Hey, enjoy care tomorrow night. You'd never know. You could see me. You can see me walls. I'll, I'll buy you a pint. I'll buy you a pint uh, on the outside <laughs> bar. Good luck to you, Johnny. Bye bye, you know, the great Johnny uh, Luby there from the Fourpenny Road. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Protesters uh, remained at Racket Hall uh, House uh, Hotel in Ross Grey overnight. After news broke yesterday, then it's set to house 160 international protection applicants. And uh, Ross Grey-based independent councillor Shane Lee joins me now. Shane, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran, and good morning to the listeners, and thank you for having me on your show once again. You're very welcome indeed, Shane. When, when did you hear about this decision, Shane? Fran, yesterday at quarter past three, um, I received information by email from the Department's communications side that this was happening. Um, along with every other councillor, senator and TD in, in Tipperary, we all got the same email together. Um, and so then at that point in time, it took to social media and then the whole thing went sort of viral. Had there been any rumours, Shane, about Racket Hall? <sighs> yes and no, friend, um, mm. would be the way to answer that. Um, there had been some speculation, but um, nobody had seen it coming as the way it did come. Um, like... One individual had mentioned it to me at one stage to see, did I hear anything about it? But it's like that, and I went and spoke to one of the staff out there at that point in time, and they confirmed that it wasn't the case. So, again, it's a quick stunt that was pulled by government. Um, and as I have said on your show in the past, that they're very quick to do things underhandedly in terms of letting local representatives know in the area as to what's happening. So, like, just to be very clear, the only time I knew about this was officially what quarter past three yesterday when I received the email along with every other council from TD in Tipperary. And Shane, you mentioned staff. At at what point did the staff find out? 
And this is the, this is the hard part, Fran, and this is the, the disgusting part. Um, I was speaking with a lot of staff and my business to get in contact with them last night. Um, they went to work as normal business hours yesterday. Um, they left the premises, as they do, and it, the, the way they found out what I was advised was through social media. Wow. Like, like to be honest, the handling of this, the communication of this, and everything revolves around this is absolutely the only way I can describe it as disgusting. People began to gather then at the hotel, is my understanding, Shane. Um, large numbers? Yes, Fran. I, I would have been on your show, and as you know, I'm probably one of the very few councillors that had been very vocal about fairness and about balance and speaking about the town of Ross Grey. Um, and I got a, numerous calls. My phone was on hotline basically yesterday when this broke, and I was invited out to um, a protest in relation to what had, had the news that had broken. And to say that, like, I don't exaggerate when I say that the amount of anger um, that has gathered, and I'm not saying anger that anyone is doing anything out of ordinary or doing anything stupid. I'm not saying that, and that, and that was definitely not the case last night. But it's a step too far, Frank. And I honestly believe that the government and the minister and the department in this case has walked into this absolutely blindfolded. Because, like, I've been on your show on numerous different occasions, Fran, and I've highlighted the concerns of the people that I represent in, in Ross Grey. And, like, in fairness, we had met through Deputy Lowry organising a meeting, a deputation with both the minister and the head of the department. And, in fairness, all TDs were invited to that meeting and other representatives. You know, and at that meeting, as I said the last time I spoke on your show, that I was very vocal and I left on no uncertain terms the feelings of the people of Ross Grey as to what they're feeling about the time of the Ukrainian um, site. So, like, the point I'm making in relation to that is it's not for one minute that the minister or the department weren't aware of both sites that have currently been active in Ross Grey. And at that meeting on that day, and there's witnesses there from the community that attended that meeting, that we were given a commitment that there be no further um, integration into Ross Grey in any other site. You were given a so, commitment of that? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was, that was the case. That was the case. So, like, how do you have faith in a government or a minister when not alone are they misleading the, 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 the public, but misleading public representatives that are going back working for the public? And, Fran, like, to mm. me, that's just below the belt. And the last time you and I spoke, I mean, you described a situation in Ross Grey that before this decision was made, what was volatile was difficult for a lot of local people uh, as well. There was talk of intimidation. You you were involved yourself where a, such a really unfortunate situation was concerned. Um, so this is, is, is adding, do you think, to fears that are already there, Shane? Is that fair to say? Fran, like the message, and I was speaking, as I said, there was a, just, just to say there was up, like, on the drop of a hat yesterday evening, there was up to 15, in between 1,500 and 2,000 people gathered. Right? Now, you know yourself, Fran, that when the people talk, it's time to listen. And, like, the message was very clear. And, like, just to go back to your question is the concerns. Like, there's an all-time law in Ross Grey. Like, and I, and I just want to be very clear on this, that there's no agenda in terms of anyone setting out to have an agenda bear the best interest of a community, right? And there's a lovely mix of people there last night, so there was no, you know, far right or what we go down our rate, you know, all that, like, them cards now are out the window. This is much greater than, and I need to be very, very clear on that, you know, and especially to media. It's not, there's no agenda here in terms of far rights or this or that. It's people, citizens of the town that are saying enough's enough and, we're not, and they're, they're, they're completely and totally opposed to this. All night long, Fran, people have been staying there last night at Racket Hall. And all day today, people are staying at Racket Hall. 
and, and it like, is my understanding Shane is it's today that the applicants are supposed to arrive is that it yes well that was that was the message that came through and, and and another thing Fran like this is another thing which really gets under my skin in the sense that if I can say that word but like the information out there already is inaccurate because the information that was received to local representatives and, 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 and TDs and senators was it's for people with international protection now I need to be very clear the last email that we got stated that on the, the convent site, the, the, the Ukrainian, it was emphasised that this is for Ukrainian families. You know, so like, there's mixed messages out there already and the mind games are starting. You know, and, but like, the, the very clear mm. message and I was probably the only um, politician that was attended that last night, that like, they're, they're completely and totally opposed to this. And then, like, I said, like, what's going to happen are, you know, like, they're not moving, it's not being stepped down until such time as the minister comes and meets the people of Ross Grey. Because, like I said in your show before, Fran, and I'm very, very passionate and very, very strong about this, and it's the message that has been made very, very clear to me. The people of Ross Grey are playing their part. We've been advised that there's 320 Ukrainian families attending the convent site. Then you have the site in Sean Ross Abbey, who also has large numbers. And that's not got to do with what's around the town already. So, like, we need to be very clear to say that, you know, Ross Grey is not playing its part. Ross Grey has boxed above the waist at all costs. And this is the absolute killer blow to think that any individual or any government or any minister that thinks this is acceptable is absolutely... There's no words can describe it. Like, I also want to say, Frank, following on from that, mm. the only thing we have in, in Ross Grey in terms of a gathering point, and you've been there on numerous different occasions through your what you do in terms of your music and mm. one thing and another, and, like, just imagine people coming to you and saying, Shane, I was booked in for a wedding. Think about the job creation. Think about a vocal point in any music. The remote, we have a government now that's supporting, number one, job loss, because there's going to be job losses here. Number two is we have a government that's saying that they're pumping money into tourism. They've now removed a tourism point because we've nine beds now for anybody that wishes to attend in, in the Rasper area. Like, it's absolutely and totally horrifying. That's the only way I can describe it. And absolutely disgusting. They think that that's what they think of the people of our community. And Shane, can we get it out of the way? And I, I just want you to repeat what you said earlier on. As far as you're concerned, there was no notion of that that huge number of people that gathered through the night uh, being infiltrated by any outside group or... Absolutely not, Fran. You saw I, no I, evidence of that whatsoever, and just for Fran, clarity. I left, I'll be very clear in saying that. I left the site last night at half past 12, right? And I can honestly say that there was a, lov- like a, a lovely mixed bunch from all backgrounds. Um, and like there was no like I said there was no stupidity there was no anger there was no hatred towards staff you know there was none of that type of stuff people were there absolutely sympathetic to think that this and, and another thing Fran, and I'm going to say this as well to think that the people of Rosprey and the surrounding areas have supported them the owners of that hotel for many 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 years and basically what they've done here now is they've given the middle finger because of absolute greed and hunger that's what it's down to well, it's a, it's, it's a business decision, really, Shane, you know, and sometimes you you can't argue with that. I mean, as opposed to the business owners, we need to be looking, I suppose, at the people who are legislating. Oh, Fran, but absolutely, and I accept that, and I understand it's a business, but the reality is we've come through COVID and come through a lot of things, and that business has still survived. And like any time I went in around a beautiful hotel, by the way. It's absolutely. Any time I went in around that hotel and the staff were always friendly and yeah. Do you know, it was very well. Food, food was and, great and, there and yeah, everything. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I've always spoke very, very highly 
in public meetings or in public domain where people saying like you know like that was the gathering point in Rossbury mm. like even to think last night like the reputation of the town where people were coming to look like obviously people employees or workers or whatever coming to the door of the hotel and it closed they didn't even know what was happening alright what happens now do you think Shane well look fan what's happening what my understanding and the message that's coming to me is that this has not been stood down the people of Rossbury are completely opposed to the situation that government thought was going to happen here. And they're not stepping down until such time as the minister comes and meets the people of the town. And, like, another thing, Fran, I'd also like to say, like, as public representatives, we have responsibilities to be sensible and to be approachable and to, you know, to be kind and to be caring and to be there to help people. Like, and then we hear all this hate speech, and wanting. Like, it's, it's, it's actually the government in this situation, and I want to be very clear in saying this, that they're going to create all of this. So I don't want the Taoiseach or a minister coming on and saying, we can't do this or we can't say that. Ross Grey has boxed above its weight. We have two active sites in the town of Ross Grey. In a small town, as I said to you, with very, very little services. And again, I go back to the guard station in Ross Grey mm. and all the other services around it. Like they're being beaten from pillar to post. And then we get an email to say, all the services have been notified about this. I'll tell you one thing, friend. If I rang any of the GPs this morning, I'd be very surprised if any of this was said. And have I you any idea that the Gardaí were approached about this and were informed about this ahead of time? No. My, my, when I asked that question last night, I was advised that they got the email at the very same time as us. On, on yesterday afternoon? Yes. Yes. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's totally, like, the community, and, and today we met with the Minister Fan and with the head mm. of the department. Like, I emphasise that. What about the communication? Where is the communication of this for, for, for both I as a, as a local councillor, the TDs or, you know, the senators or like the Gardaí or the... Like, like friends, look, listen, it's like a young lassie stood up last night and she spoke, right? She was an employee in, in the racket hall, a part-time girl, OK? Mm. The young girl is, is currently going through college and this was supporting her college mm. and the girl was physically crying in front of everybody last night to think that this is the way she was being treated. Well, I know that some people are going to be kept on there um, at uh, the hotel, so we're not sure about the exact detail. Before I let you go, Shane, can I ask you something? You're, you're part of the Lowry group, Michael yes. Lowry's group. Yes. And Michael, now, as he tells us himself, on a case-by-case basis, generally supports the government. Yes. But what is what is the stance of the Lowry group in general where asylum seekers and refugees are concerned? Well, then, just, I suppose... Like the word, the word you mentioned the Lowry group, but I suppose I've classed myself as an independent councillor. And in fairness to Michael, like like you said, he supports the government from time to time. Like in situations like this, Michael won't come across and say to me, "This is what needs done or this is what." You know, that's not the way it works. Like this is something that I'm hugely passionate about. This is something that I represent the people of Osprey on, and I stand by the people 150 percent on this. And I've no qualms in saying that. And I, I'm not afraid to say it. I'm on a public radio and give a huge amount of people probably listening in. And were you so, the were you the only politician there last night? Yes, that I seen. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right, Shane. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. And good morning to you. Thank you very much. Man. Thank you. That's uh, independent uh, councillor in Ross Gray, Shane Lee, speaking to us. There, we'll take a break. Back with more. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now we continue with that uh, story that uh, 160 international protection applicants will be housed at Racket Hall House Hotel in uh, Ross Gray. I'm glad to be joined now by Derek Russell from Ross Gray Stands Up. Good morning to you, Derek. Morning, Frank. Good morning, listeners. Uh, good to talk to you today. You were at the protest last night, Derek. I was, yeah. Um, the protest was organised by some people that were very concerned when they heard the news yesterday evening. And in a short space of time, they done well to get that many people, uh, you know, out to the racket hall. And it it's just a pure indictment again of, you know, what the government actually think of Ross Gray because, like, it's not but we have our fair share of non-national migrants, Ukrainians, whatever way you'd like to describe uh, the thing. But, like, we are full. There's this thing going around there that the country's not full, but Ross Gray is full. What was and the like, what was the mood of uh, the the protest last night, Derek? Well, different people spoke at it, and uh, you know there was a certain element of anger in about very controlled anger, and um, like everybody knew we had to a meeting back in Roscoe back at the start of December. Everybody knew that uh, there wasn't a satisfactory outcome out of that meeting that it was a government line that was the answer on it. And, uh, like, there is other issues to this that, you know, aren't getting mentioned. There's the jobs issue of the people in the racket hall. Mm. There's the fact now that we've no hotel in Rossbury. Mm. And, and it doesn't say much about a town not to have a hotel. And, like... The, the hotel was a working hotel. It wasn't that it was closed down or anything. I'm sure anyone that was at the protest last night would agree people were coming with their luggage to stay there and had to knock on the door and rap on the door to get in. It seemed to be very badly done on management's behalf as well mm. towards customers. You know, there's a relation of mine booked in to stay there in two Saturday night time and that was on your book at Christmas. Obviously, the management knew about this at Christmas, what was happening, and still took the book. When when did you hear about this, Derek? Well, I heard yesterday evening about it, and I put it up on Facebook straight away when I heard about it. Mm. And, and, and had you heard rumours over the last few weeks? or? Well, I was in Bar about a week ago, and somebody said you know, oh, I hear you're going to have no hotel in Ross Grey, that there's more non-nationals moving into it. But I denied it because I hadn't heard anything around the town or mm. I hadn't heard anyone say anything about it. And I would know one or two of the staff out in Racket Hall and they hadn't said anything about it either, like. You yeah. know, so, like, it's it goes to show, though, what the government actually think of Ross Grey. And in terms of services, Derek, will you just give, you know, for people outside of Rosgrave, can you just give an indication about how full the town is in terms of providing services and the like? Well, there were, there's a doctor looking for another doctor to come in and to practice in Rosgrave. 
and they put out the necessary information four months ago and still can't get a doctor. Right, so the services are overran and we're bringing in more people. We we don't know what their health concerns are or anything. And they'll seem to be going to get looked after and the locals will have to wait their turn to, to get a doctor. And that is the way it is and there's no reason denying it. We also heard issues, uh, because Ali was up there for us, and we heard issues with the <clears throat> shopkeepers and the business owners who are already a little overwhelmed about some of what's happening in the town. Well, I'd say you could change that little overwhelmed to very overwhelmed. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on, and there's certain people in the town trying to cover it up, and there's no point in trying to cover it up. Like, there's... Some of our new members of society in Roscoe think that you can walk into shops, pick up what you want, and walk out with it without paying. You know, and there doesn't seem to be anyone to go to and consult with them and, and see why do these people think that you don't have to pay for stuff in a shop. Like, it's down to the whole thing that the whole problem around the country is there's no consultation, there's no anything with people. What about public representation? I was just speaking to Shane Lee there. He told me that as far as he could see, he was the only uh, public representative at that gathering last night. I know I'll be speaking to Jackie Kyle in, in, in the next hour of the programme. But what about public representation, Derek? What, what are you seeing? Well, I contacted all the TDs yesterday evening. And for all different reasons, there was a no-show. Like, tomorrow at 3.30, Ross Gray sta- stands up for having a protest on the main street in Ross Gray. And, like, unless the TVs don't want to get a vote over Ross Gray in the next election, they better be there tomorrow. And there's no point in being there without having some new line of size, or oh, we contacted Roger O'Gorman or whoever. They have to come up with something different and something that's truthful, that the people of Ross Bay might buy into. But as it stands at the moment, it's a very bleak-looking out, outlook for, for Ross Bay. So are you calling on them now to attend tomorrow afternoon? I am calling on them, and I'd also like to get three or four minutes off you on Monday morning to say who turned up and who didn't well, and what they had to say. We'd be delighted to have you on on Monday morning too. To, yeah, to well, that, yeah. because I think now the time has come to call people's bluff on these things. And, uh, like, you know, people are elected and they're elected to look after their constituents. And, you know, Ross Gray people's votes are the same as anybody else's votes. They all count. You, you're an upstanding uh, Ross Gray person because, you know, Ross Gray stands up and all of that over the years and you're a decent person, I know, Derek. So can I get from you... Uh, a question that will be thrown around is, is there any danger that any of these protests will be infiltrated by people with another agenda? Well, I would like to put out a message here and now that that's not what this uh, protest is about tomorrow. The protest tomorrow is about not alone the racket hall issue, but the issue of the overcrowding of Ross Gray with single male males. Like, you know, Ukrainian families, that's acceptable. I hear good things from people, you know, the men and some of the women have got themselves jobs in Ross Bay. They've, you know, they're going to school, they're trying to participate in different things. But 
to see single males, you know, and like the word is that, you know, I, I got the email yesterday evening and it does not anywhere state, state that it's all going to be all Ukrainian families coming to the racket hall. No, it appears that it's international protection applicants, which means that it isn't, it isn't U- U- Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, but like the point about it is there's people coming from different countries and there's not a bit of fighting arguments or anything going on. They're still coming here looking for protection. Mm. And can I finally ask you before I let you go, Derek, what the Taoiseach has been saying that we have no right whatsoever to veto who comes into our communities? Well, the line I have on that all along is, I think I heard figures the other day, and you might be able to correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I think there's 14,500 Irish citizens. There are, indeed, yes. Uh, Homeless. Yes, yeah. without home, homes and at 4,000 of and, them are children, yeah. Yeah, and that's not good mentally or any other way for anybody. Why don't we house our 14,500 people, and then if we have room, take in more? But that's not the line the government want to hear. And I I think it's time that Leo came out and he debated this with, with the ordinary people, not people that are going to be bought over. Because that's what's going on at the moment, is people coming out and standing up for the government on these things. And it's the likes of Ross Grey Town then that's been in the brunt of it. All right, Derek, I must leave it there, but like, I look forward we, to talking I, to you on, on Monday morning, just, if that's OK. Could I just say, like, of course. Uh, we, uh, uh, wind power came to Ross Grey there. I don't know what the correct name of it is. They donated money to different societies. They, you know, obviously they're going to go on and make money out of it. But all these people are coming to Ross Grey. But what is the benefit for Ross Grey? All right. Well, Ross Grey seems to be losing rather than gaining over these things. I'll talk to you on Monday morning if that's okay, Derek. That'd be great. And thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today. Thanks, Thank you. Friend. Thank you, Gurmil That's uh, Derek Russell there of Ross Grey. Stands up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Mike, thank you very much indeed for your, your message and I go along with uh, what you're saying and thank you, thank you, much appreciated. Uh, 83 for your text and uh, your WhatsApp. Now, a large-scale search of Bansha Woods uh, is happening tomorrow uh, in respect of a missing man, Kian Murta, aged 30, originally from uh, County Meath, but living in Cork, uh, recently was last seen in Basha on Monday. Um, I'm glad to be uh, joined now by uh, Jade. Uh, Jade, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well indeed. You operate a soup kitchen, I know, in, in Cork twice a week. Uh, you you know this young man, is that right, Jade? I know Kean for the last, say, seven weeks. Yes. And what can yeah. you tell us about him, Jade? Well, he's living homeless at the moment. He was in Cork City. Um, the boy hasn't eaten in seven weeks. Um, we're really, really concerned for his welfare at this stage. He had, was last seen on Monday. And why, um, why Tipperary, Jade? How how did he end up in Tipperary? He got on the 245 bus in Cork, and he doesn't know this area. He doesn't know. Like, he's from Meath, so he doesn't know. He just had this all set out. It was kind of like a bucket list. Yes. He wanted to climb the Galtees. No, he did climb the Galtees on Monday. Um, but... Right. We actually haven't really a clue 
right. the moment. Right. So the last sighting then was in, I think, in the, in the shop in Banshee. Is that? Is it that was. It? Yeah, between yeah. four and five on Monday. That was the last sighting at Kean. Right. And did he chat to anybody at that point, Jay? No, he didn't. No, he just went to the shop. Um, one of the lads who met him on the Galtees gave him five euros, and he obviously he didn't have any money before then. So he obviously went in the shop for a drink or something. Right. And uh, the search tomorrow then will concentrate on Bansha Woods, uh, yes. Jade. Is that right? Yes. Now, that's a, that's a rather extensive area there, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. Um, so who who will take part in the search? Or are you looking for people to volunteer to take We part? are. Any good walkers, anyone um, with the experience of walking the woods, really. And um, we're meeting in the car park at nine o'clock tomorrow morning in the woods. Okay, and as yeah. many people as possible, obviously, to help you out. Oh, God, where, yeah. Where, can, can you give us a description? Of Cian, he'd be roughly about six foot. He's wearing blue jeans with a big rip at the back of them. He has work boots, black steel toe-cap work boots. He's wearing a black um, regatta coat. He has a black beanie hat on with his hood up. There, he has a black backpack on him and he has a tent, he's carrying a tent and a clear bag with a sleeping bag in it. Right, and will you, will you have somebody tomorrow to coordinate the, the, the search because obviously that's important, Jade. Yeah, well, hopefully Mountain Rescue yes. um, will be there as well. Yeah. In, in the meantime, if anybody spotted Kian, um, Care Garda Station is probably the best. Or Clomel Garda Station. Okay, right. Um, Sergeant John Murphy is dealing with the case. Right, very very good indeed. But in the yeah. meantime, nine o'clock tomorrow in the car park there of Banshee Woods, I, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. All right, yeah. Jade. Well, hopefully there will be good Fingers news there where, where Kian is uh, concerned. And thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Jade. Bye-bye. 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 Now, that's Jade Bye-bye. Miller there, who is doing tremendous work there in Cork where the homeless are concerned. And uh, we wish her and uh, everybody indeed uh, going on that search tomorrow, the very, very best. And of course, uh, where Kian is concerned as well. Now, let's continue with that story. That uh, racket hall in Ross Gray is going to be used to house asylum seekers. The hotel seemingly has signed a 12-month contract to provide accommodation. Fianna Fáil TD for Tipperary. Jackie Cahill joins me now. Jackie, good morning to you. Well, Fran, how are you? I'm good, Jackie, and thank you for coming on with us today. You had to reissue your press release yesterday. Were you misled, Jackie, that you thought it was Ukrainian people coming to Racket Hall? I'd say that was just a genuine mistake from someone in the minister's department. I wouldn't see anything sinister in it. <clears throat> it was just a misunderstanding by the by the secretary who, who rang me first then, and then I had two calls to the minister yesterday evening on the, on the situation in Rosgrave. So, look, I would say that was just a genuine mistake from someone in, in, in the minister's in the minister's office, and um, it wasn't it wasn't meant to mislead. It was just a genuine mistake. So, who exactly is coming to Racket Hall then? Um, families um, seeking international protection um, is, is my clear understanding of, of who's coming to Rosgrave today. Right. So, it's it's not single males then. It's families. Is your understanding? I've been clear, as I said, I had two conversations with Minister O'Gorman yesterday, and um, that is my clear understanding that his family is seeking international protection. Right. Um, you have concerns because we heard you in our, our news bulletin. You have concerns yourself about services in the area, particularly, I suppose, schools and uh, GPs and the like, Jackie. Well, look, friend, we all know that GP, GPs are scarce anyway. 
and um, we have a scarcity of GPs and, you know, you, you people getting up high with your GPs, etc. Is, is a difficult thing at the moment. And you bring in extra families into an area, you're going to put extra pressure on the services. And I made these points very strongly to Minister O'Gorman yesterday, and um, I have already looked for a meeting with Minister O'Gorman and myself and Councillor Smith. I have just looked for a meeting with Minister O'Gorman, and hopefully that will happen in the, in the near future. And um, like in any town, you would have concerns. We raised the same issues, you know, when we had a, the village being built in Torres for Ukrainians as regards education and service, etc. And Ros Gray, as you know, has been clearly outlined, and we all know Ros Gray has, a, has had a, 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 a large influx of foreign nationals, you know, in the last in the last in the last number of months. So I, I think, you know, resources in the town, you know, the minister has to give guarantees that there will be resources put into the town to cater for these extra people coming in. Were the people of Rosgrey not assured that no more uh, people would be brought in? Because I mean there's such an amount of refugees and asylum seekers in, in the town already, Jackie, and there's a lot of issues around that. Yeah, well, I know I didn't give any assurances on that. Maybe others said, said different things. I didn't give any assurances. But I can fully understand the worries and concerns of people of, of Rosgrey. And, you know, we had the convent there, you know, in the last number of months. And, yeah. you know, there was ongoing issues about the convent. And, you know, Ukrainians have settled into the convent there. And, um, you know, I was talking to people yesterday in Rosgrey when this news broke. And they said those families are settling in well there and adapting into the community. And... Uh, I'd be talking to you, you know, I'd have close things with a person walking there and I came to shop in Rosgrey and, um, you know, she, she was saying that coming in, difficulty with languages, etc. as obviously you'll have with people coming from a foreign country, but they are settling in. But your point, you know, is is, is valid and the people are concerned. And I think another point that was made to me very strong yesterday, and it has to be a huge concern for Rosgrey, while Racket Hall is a small distance outside the town of Rosgrey, it was the only hotel in the town. Yeah. And, you know, a person made a point to me yesterday, yesterday evening on the phone that there was a funeral um, in, the last, in the last week or 10 days in Wales Grey. That's where they went for the meal after, after, yeah. after, after the funeral. There's now no function room in Ross Grey, no, 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 you know, no, no hotel that can cater for, you know, a, a number of people after a funeral. And, you know, I know people got called yesterday to say that rooms have been cancelled, that, you know, another person had a, a family gathering there in the month of February where people were coming over from England and they had rooms booked in the hotel and they had been cancelled. So, you know, that's a huge complication for a town the size of Osprey now that there's no function room there as well. And, you know, that's, that creates difficulties for the town as well. And, yeah, well, somebody you know, described this, it as taking the heart simple. out of the town. I mean, if you have a centre, because sadly the, the hotel in the middle of the town closed down some years ago and wasn't uh, uh, reopened, so this, as you say, was the social centre for, for an awful lot of people, you know? Yeah, well, if you're having a function in Rosemary back at all, as yeah. you said, it is a spot but out in the town. It was the only option for people in town. So, yes, that's it. that is obviously, you know, a, a concern for people as well. And it, 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 it clearly outlines the lack of infrastructure in, in, in Rosemary. And, um, you know, for a town of the size of Rosgrave now to have no place with a, a function room where you can hold a corporate event or a family event, etc., you know, that, that is uh, obviously an anxiety. But, you know, to come back to the GPs, uh, you know, edu the educational system, I know in Turles, um, you know, the local schools around the, the locality, you know, the Ukrainian children are being taken out there. So I think all those issues have to be addressed that schools will have the resources mm. to deal with these extra families coming in. And do you, do you think it's are, are concerned. Do you think it's wrong, Jackie, that somebody like yourself, uh, a TD, um, your party is a member of government, you found out yesterday afternoon about this. 
Um, do you think that's right? Oh, I would rather like that I'd have been brought in uh, uh, 10 days or a fortnight ago and say we're, we're thinking about Racket Hall as 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 a centre uh, for being international uh, asylum seekers. And I would have clearly said if I was asked, Brad, that the town has a, has a serious number of, of asylum seekers already, a serious number of Ukrainians, and are there, uh, you know, can this town cope? That's what I would have said. But, about but that. Roderick O'Gorman's I, department must be already well aware of that, Jackie, you know? Well, they were told clearly, you know, when the, uh, the Ukrainian families came into Convent Hill that, you know, there was, you know, there, there, was, pressure, there was pressure on Ross Gray. Um, you know, obviously, Racket Hall has been offered to them. Hello, the line okay, Frank? Yeah, yeah, it's fine, Jackie. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. I just got a bit of background noise there. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Um, um, obviously, the the owner of Racket Hall contacted the department and offered his premises uh, mm. for, for for accommodation. And um, you know, as you, you know, there's huge pressure on them. You know, we hear of all the signing seekers being put in tents um, when when they come in. So there's huge pressure on the department, and you know, they find it very difficult to find accommodation. So they took up the offer that was obviously made to them. And um, as I said, now we have to make right. sure. But, but that's that's, that's, that's what it's down to. That's that's what it's down to now, isn't it? That anybody who offers a premises, uh, it won't be taken into account what the social issues are in 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 the area. Uh, around it. What are you hearing from your constituents, uh, Jackie? Because, you know, your party line is that, you know, there's no cap on numbers, that there's uh, Ireland is still open to people, all of this sort of thing. What are you hearing, though, from genuine people out there? You know, people are concerned. and um, Are you uh, concerned, uh, Jackie? I'm concerned about the resources the town of Bay would have, and we have to make sure... And I made this point to the minister yesterday evening. The recognition fund that was great really has to be top of the list um, for, for funding, and from that next time, and he fully accepted the point I was making. The recognition fund has to has to recognise the very significant contribution that the town of Rosgrey is making. Uh, you know, I, you know, as you say, have, have, where the Geneva Convention, you know, is clear that a person presents here for asylum. You know, we're we're obliged to take them in and vet them. No, 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 no. The, the, Geneva, so the Geneva Convention do, does not say that at all. It, it doesn't say well, anything about uh, unlimited numbers was, being allowed into a country, Jackie. There's a, it, that's basically a humanitarian um, convention. That's that's a humanitarian convention in terms of... Yeah, but, but if a person arrives in this country, Fran, uh, and arrives into the country, we're, we're obliged um, to examine their eligibility for asylum. That's, that's, that is factual. And I went through this with the minister not, yesterday not, evening. Not, not with, well, I, 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 I don't want to disagree with the minister, but I, I, I have to, because that's not, I mean, if that is his yardstick, he's wrong. He's incorrect about that. Yeah, well, the, the, the person comes in here seeking international protection. Um, they, they have to be vested before they can be determined whether they're eligible for asylum here in this country or whether they'll be deported. Right. That, that is, right, that but is, people that are very is, concerned about that, that vetting and how that vetting works and what, what documentation there is. Uh, that. What about you, Jackie? Just you personally. Um, and, you know, somebody who's steeped in your rural Ireland and your association with farming and all of that, do you think there has to be a cap do you think we now have to say, look, we've done tremendous work here for so many people, but we can't do any more? Fran, you know, you heard this morning on the news about the Yemen yesterday, last night and the tax in Yemen. Unfortunately, there's an awful lot of, of strife 
all around the world at the moment. Probably hasn't been the same level of strife since the Second World War. You have the war in Ukraine. You now have the war in Gaza with with, with Israel and Palestine. You have numerous um, wars in in Africa. We had, as I said, you had that Yemen last night, 12 different strikes in Yemen. We never had the same number of displacement of of, of people from different parts of the world. They are seeking asylum. So we're in the same situation as we were, you know, as I said, since the Second World War. So this is presenting new and greater difficulties. We also had the the added difficulty plan of climate change, where certain parts of the world now are in starvation. And there's a significant amount of people in the world suffering famine. And if you're in that kind of a situation, you are going to look to see, is there any place else? And I take your point from a humanitarian point of view, but an awful lot of the people coming into us are coming from places that are not war-torn. And uh, sometimes, you know, we might be the second or third country that they've, 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 they've come into. Well, you know? yeah, well I, I've been clearly, and I, said, I, just, I had a long conversation with the minister yesterday evening, and every person that goes to come into this country goes through an SIS check now. And that clearly shows if they're trying to enter any other European state before they come here. Right, and, and many of them have. So are they sent back? They're not sent back, though, Jackie. They're not. Well, well I, had been, I had Minister McEntee on this yesterday evening, and there has been, you know, the number, I think, was around 700, but don't hold me to the exact figure that were destined for this deportation. Right, but so it's, a, it's a voluntary deportation. It's a voluntary deportation. And, and people aren't voluntarily leaving the country, you know. So, Well, we, I, I just saw there again um, with the minister, um, a significant number of Ukrainians have, 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 have returned to Ukraine in the, last, in the last number of months. But, you know, this shows, if, this, this SIS check shows if people have a criminal record coming in here. And I presume that they would be deported immediately. All deportations but are they're not, voluntary. But they're not, they're not deported immediately. We, we, we know that uh, at this point, Jackie. You know, we, yeah, uh, anyway, yeah, will, will you turn up in Rossgrave tomorrow? Um, you, you, you were invited there by, by uh, Derek, who spoke to us earlier on. Um, will you turn up at that, that meeting in, in Rossgrave tomorrow? Um, I haven't heard anything about the broad, uh, uh, meeting in Rossgrave as of yes, um, tomorrow, plan. I discussed that with Provost Smith, and um, we 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 we'll make a decision as to as to as to what we right. what we will do. All right, Jackie. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Finn Fall, Deputy for Tipperary. Jackie Cahill uh, speaking to us there. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over fifty years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. And now there's much talk about this uh, Geneva Convention, and it, it's kind of interesting to read through what exactly um, it's uh, saying. But uh, basically, it says that there are obligations in terms of people who are fleeing. Uh, war from uh, various different uh, categories there. But as well as that, I mean, you need to have proof that people are coming from a situation where their lives or their families are threatened and that proof uh, needs to be made clear. That's certainly my my understanding of it now. That'll be joined now by Deputy Michael Lowry. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. What are your thoughts on what's happening in in Ross Gray, Michael? Well, Fran... um I have highlighted the position of Ross Gray on four different occasions in the Dáil. And when I heard this announcement yesterday at four o'clock or when I received the email, and I was uh, surprised and I was disappointed. And the reason for that is that 
I have made the case already about Ross Grey and the fact that the local community there are overwhelmed uh, with the, the number of asylum seekers that they have in the town already. The people of Ross Grey have already responded in a kind and generous manner by welcoming hundreds of displaced people into the town. They already have a direct provision centre in the town. We've already provided places for 400 Ukrainian refugees in the town. And on top of that, there are local factories and businesses who have, ha who have large numbers of foreign nationals employed uh, in, in, in their factories. And the, the town has, uh, you know, also asylum seekers accommodated in numerous houses around the town. Now, let me say for, for sure, I've been at public meetings in Rossgray recently in relation to this. I was the only TD, in fact, that turned up for the public meeting. Rossgray people are not racist, and I got that message very strongly from the meeting. They have welcomed the victims of the war in Ukraine with open arms, and they have willingly opened their hearts to those in need. But I have to say, yesterday's announcement is a tipping point. I have serious concerns about it. The town is already overburdened. The services are already overloaded. And it appears to me now that any place in any part of the country that put their hand up and say that they have accommodation, the government will take the hand off them without looking at the location, without looking at its suitability, without looking at the capacity and without looking at the previous amount of refugees that a centre has taken. That has happened here in Ross Grey. And as a result of that, medical services are pushed beyond their limit the Garda station was downgraded and has no overnight Garda presence. Schools in the town are already beyond capacity. GPs and medical services are not able to cope. That is the reality of Ross Grey at the moment. Ross Grey is already overflowing. Services cannot cope with the increased population. And it is the local people of Ross Grey who are suffering as a result. The sheer scale and magnitude uh, of the exercise that has happened in Ross Grey over the last 12 months is overwhelming services and infrastructure. We were promised more communication from this government. We were promised that, you know, people would be spoken to ahead of time and uh, their fears would be allayed. But again, we have the same situation here. I mean, yesterday afternoon, everybody found out about this. Had you any previous knowledge about this at all? Fran, this is what's extremely annoying about this government policy. I've heard it ad, ad nausea. Ministers and Taoiseach and Tarnish are standing up in the door and at public conferences. And when they get an opportunity to speak about this, they say that there is consultation and that there's consultation in advance of these decisions being made. There is zero uh, consultation, zero. The first I heard of it was yesterday when I received an email. I then contacted the minister's office and I said that the minister had effectively reneged on a previous commitment that he gave to Ross Grey, which was that he would cap the numbers and that he understood the situation and he understood the pressures that Ross Grey was under. And then I get an email like this out of the blue. Then I asked the question, when, will, when are we going to be able to sit down? I asked for a meeting next Tuesday to sit down and to discuss this matter. And I was then told when I asked a further question that seven families will be moving into Ross Grey this morning. Now, that's, how could you describe that? as consultation. That's imposing a decision. That's taking a decision without consultation and imposing on it on the local community. And it's simply not good enough. As I said, in my view, this is the tipping point for Ross Grey. And I'm not a bit surprised with the, 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 the reaction that I've got from the people of Ross Grey yesterday and today, because I actually feel that myself. You know, the, to the numbers 
in Rossgrey at the moment is totally disproportionate to the local population. And the vital services, as I said, in the town cannot cope. They are stretched beyond capacities. And the other thing to remember, Fran, is this, uh, that by degrees, the, the lives of the local people have changed. We've had reoccurring incidences. And those incidents have eroded the sense of security of the people in the town. They do not feel safe on the streets. Parents are fearful of allowing their teenagers out after dark. Families and older people have had to increase security in their homes. That's the reality of the facts in Ross Grey at the moment. And I have a situation where the minister stood up in the doll and he told me after the 400 Ukrainians were accepted in Ross Grey that there would be a review of security and that the guard numbers would be increased. I then went to the Minister for Justice, Helen McIntyre. Privately, I had a discussion with her. I explained to her the problems in Ross Grey. I explained the need for further numbers. She told me that she didn't have a role or function in distributing the Garda numbers, but that she would talk with the Commissioner. But since that discussion, nothing has happened. The, the Ross Grey Garda station remains closed at night, and that's obviously exacerbating the sense of public vulnerability. And Gardaí have appealed for additional resources. They're short in numbers. They're under enormous pressure. They're not able to cope with the increase in the incidents that have taken place, and they're not getting the additional numbers. We're getting a stonewall blank comment, the numbers that are not available. You know, the whole situation is, is there's no coordination. There's no link-up between the departments. Uh, there's no joined-up thinking. On, on the broader picture, I mean, by your own admission, you support this government on a case-by-case basis, yes. uh, Michael. What about their general attitude to the sheer numbers that are coming in here all of the time now and the notion that we can't cap numbers and we can't close borders? Do you go along with that? No, I do not. I disagree with it. Uh, I disagree with it. And I made a statement in the Dáil recently, and as I was making the statement, I was heckled and shouted down by the leader of the Labour Party and by one of our spokespersons, Aidan O'Reidan. I think we. I was one of the first people in the Dáil, in a calm and a rational way, called for a, a, a debate in relation to where we stand in relation to this. I think there's, there's, the first thing to say is this, that the system has broken down. And I know it because I'm dealing with it every other day. One department doesn't know what the other department is doing. The left hand doesn't know what the right, right hand is doing. There is no coordination between these departments. And the most important thing that's happening, Fran, is that when people come into the country and seek asylum, there's a process where they have to be processed. That process system it has broken down. Uh, you know, you see it already. People who arrive, they're interviewed and what have you, and then they disappear and they're around the country. Mm. We, we know already. We know already that there are people waiting for over two years to be assessed, and this is what's frightening people: this sense of insecurity, this sense of not knowing who these people are, where they've come from, what have, what record, if any, they have previously had. It's, it's that perception that's out there. Yeah, and and from, actually, from what we're right. getting in here to the programme, Michael, this is the big issue of, of our time here. Um, will you be pulling support for this government just based on this? If well, this... it's, it's, it's I, already, already I have yesterday, Fran, and I have to say, if you were a fly on the wall, uh, you would fly off that wall. I re- uh, rang government representatives yesterday. I told them that this decision that they had made in relation to Ross Grey was unfair, unreasonable, it should not have been made, should not have certainly have been made without prior consultation. If there was prior consultation, I, we would have repeated the facts that I've already stated to you now. 
I'm extremely unhappy about it, but more to the point, I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned about the reaction and the response. Ross Gray has, has, has dealt very generously and very calmly with the situation up to now. I have reasoned, made reasoned arguments at, at the public meeting and people were very responsible. But I don't know what's going to happen now in terms of, of my position. I told the government uh, as of yesterday that I'm extremely unhappy with the, measure, with the decision that they took yesterday without consultation to impose another uh, 160 uh, asylum seekers into a hotel in Ross Grey. It's, it's, so it's you, you're, questioning, you're questioning your general support for this government then, are you? Well, I, no, I'm questioning my, my support. I have no, I'm not giving the government support for the current strategy and the current policy in relation to asylum seekers. I think it's all yes. over the shop. And and can I ask you, because it's coming up time and time again, with your experience of politics, the obligations that are spoke of and people throwing around things like the Geneva Convention and then people questioning it on the basis of what's in the Lisbon Treaty and uh, you know the possibility that we can opt out of things. What is your understanding of, with your experience, of our obligations? Well, the first thing is that we were over generous from the start, and part of the problem that we have in Ireland is that because we were over generous, we had secondary lo- re- people relocating here in Ireland because of our generous social protection and the amount of money that was available to them. So we had people, the fact is, we had people coming to Poland, leaving Ukraine, going to Poland, going to Germany, uh, Italy and Spain and Portugal, realising that the level of support for them in those countries wasn't as high in Ireland and they came to Ireland. We were very very slow to close that down. We now have done that, so I presume that will stem some of the flow. The second thing to say is that the, 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 the process that we have and for, for um, adjudicating on whether or not a person, and I think you said it at the top of the programme there, was who was actually making the decisions in relation to whether or not a person is genuinely fleeing yes. conflict and is genuinely in fear of, of their safety. I'm, we're not doing that adequately or properly, and that's part of the problem. And people perceive that now, and that's what they're worried about. That's where the general fear is coming from. And I have to say that there is a time when any country uh, should be able to say, you know, we have to cap the numbers. We don't have the capacity to deal with them. We're not able to cope with it. Now, my understanding under that convention that you refer to also, that there is an out clause there where if a country is out, has no f- longer got a suitable accommodation, yeah. Yeah. that they can actually make a contribution to a central fund in Europe and that some other country would take that money that has availability and uh, look after the refugees and those. So it's not a case that Ireland hasn't played its part, and I'm in favour of it. We have an international duty and responsibility. We have a moral obligation to look after. But it gets to the point where you simply don't have the competition. And are we at that point now? I do believe we are. Yes, I do believe we are. We're, we're seeing this now happen all over the country where uh, centres are being picked out and being delegated for this purpose and they're not suitable or, or they're not in the right location. And that's because we are under pressure to find suitable accommodation. Okay. And as I, as I said, Fran, it's now a case of anybody puts up their hand and says, I have accommodation. They will, the government will immediately move to accept it without 
considering how many refugees are already in that village or that town without looking at the location, without looking at its suitability and without looking at its capacity to resource I beg your pardon. Can I ask you, just before I let you go, Michael, Derek Russell has put out an invitation to public representatives to turn up in Rosgrave tomorrow afternoon. Is that something you'll be attending? It is, and I already attended the public meeting. They called a public meeting two months ago mm. because they were concerned that we would have a further influx I attended that public meeting and other public members. I was the only public representative at the meeting along with Councillor Shane Lee and Councillor Smith. There was no other Oireachtas representative there. I do believe in accepting invitations uh, for meetings such as this because you have to hear what the people are saying and they have to have an understanding of how you're going to approach it as one of their elected representatives. All right, Michael, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you and good morning to you. That's uh, Deputy Michael Lowry speaking to us there. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Oh, you're very welcome back to Tip Today. We've got a huge response to both uh, Michael Larry there and Jackie Cahill, and we will go back to it a little later on because we'll be speaking about these various issues uh, in our panel discussion as well. Now, Tipperary couple Brian Carrig and Kate Maloney will uh, feature on this week's episode of Room to Improve. It's an uh, RTE at uh, half past nine on uh, Sunday. It's episode two, and Kate and Brian, uh, Kate and Brian, attempting to renovate a bungalow with a view of uh, the lovely Rock of Cashel. And I'm delighted to say, Kate and Brian, with me in studio. Good morning to you both, and thanks very much for coming in uh, to us today. Um, Kate, how did you manage to get involved with uh, Room to Improve in the first place? How does that happen? Well, we were looking for um, a house for a long time, um, preferably with a view of the Rocky Cashel. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, we were just, we were blessed that this house came up um, at the right time. And uh, it was, it's an older bungalow um, in the 1970s built. Um, and there was a lot to be done with it. And I was just chancing my arm one day. I was yeah. like, I wonder if there'd be any any chance they might um, see our application. And yeah, they did. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and how, how did it work, Brian? Did they come and meet you then and look at the premises or what, what was the yeah, story? Yeah, I suppose it was, it was definitely about a six-month process, I suppose. We met them first. Um, we had to kind of had to find out a bit about us first, I suppose. Yes, um, yeah. So we'd send back a couple of videos of going around the house probably what we wanted to do with the house, what our dreams were for the house. Um, and then it kind of went from there. They kind of contacted us a few times and it was a while then for the, probably six months before they told us we're, we're on the show. So you kind of yeah. go from there and then you, you met, we met Dermot Bannon himself then and he kind of talked us through. And and what was that like? Because, I mean, any time I see it, he seems to be in conflict with particularly the lady of the house, generally, Kate. Did you, <laughs> did you, did you have many issues with, with him? Because budgets, of course, are hugely important. Yeah, and uh, like it was, um, yeah, there was definitely discussions that need to be had but, but uh, to yes. be honest he he was um he was great actually to work with because i had i obviously watched the show previously and i was worried about that i was yeah. like oh no uh this could go uh good or bad <laughs> um, but no we we actually got on great with him and um yeah there is a few kind of issues about um certain certain topics like keeping things um off the old house or right. or getting rid of them and uh yeah discussing things but generally 
at the end of the day like he's an expert in in what he does and generally he'd either talk us around or um after a bit yeah. of explaining we get there in the end the, the the big issue for you was the view of the rock and my understanding is that with the original uh, layout it was only from the bathroom through a frosted window or something so <laughs> w- was that the biggie to have a proper view uh, it definitely was it was when we bought the house um that was one thing we wanted was to kind of get a good view of the rock and I suppose houses built back in the 1970s I suppose they didn't think about these things they just kind of put a house there didn't think of the view so Um, I sure Dermot was only loved it when he saw the the location of the house um, and what he what design he came up with. Yeah, so that was definitely we wanted a view of the rock at some, at some part of the house, and I think he's yeah. See from the episode, he's got it from most most parts of the house. And you being from a good casual family, it was vital to you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. To be honest, like uh, the it, the rock is just it's so close to all of our hearts in yeah. Cashel, you know. So I mean, God, a dream of having a view of it and then trying to emphasize that view as much as possible. And um, yeah, we were trying to make sure that like that we had a lovely outdoor area to look at it, but we were we were a bit hindered with um, with kind of it's close enough to the road, the bungalow. Um, so there'd be um, a few cars passing and then the wind and the and the weather would be definitely a bit of a, of an issue but I um, suppose and and Kate I mean how much of the way the house because we don't want to do spoiler alert here we want people to see the progress on on, on TV but yeah. how much of the plan was yours and sort of amended by uh, Dermot Bannon. I mean, how how did that work? So at at the start, when you, when the process of actually getting on the show, it's actually an extremely long process. Um, but throughout it, you're discussing um your hopes and your dreams for the house, and they told us to say everything. Now we gave we um we gave a very long list. We just threw everything on it. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, sure, look, uh, if if some of, if we get some for luxury items, well and good. Um, so we just literally kept on saying everything that we wanted, and then he went away and did the plans and um keeping our, our budget in mind uh, at sometimes yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah so like what you're describing what you want and then he goes and, and tries to right. tries to wangle it around yeah. right very good what about budgeting uh, though Brian um, you did avail of some grants I know did he help with that or how does that work yeah um, we did avail the grants we were, we were glad to to get um, some grants for the to do up the house um, uh, yeah they did help um, clear our the QS was brilliant. Um, she kind of talks you through a lot of the finances from start to finish, and she's she's really good on keeping things in in order, so you're not going t- too far over budget if you're going over budget. Yeah. Um, no, but they were brilliant. In fairness, they they kind of every step of the way they kind of talked us through the different grants we were that we could avail of and um, and kind of kept the budget in check. Very good, which yeah. which, which is so important indeed. Are you because somebody else I. I know went through this process of, of uh, a room to improve, and the, their house became a bit of a sort of a tourist attraction. Kate, <laughs> are, are you ready? For, are you ready for this? Um, it's it's kind of already happening. Isn't People are just um, knocking yeah. on the door, and they're like, "Hello, do you mind if I have a look?" I'm like, "No problem, come on in." Because sure, people are curious and they're dying yeah. to see um, yeah, what's going on and what happened and the kind of the crack of it. But um, yeah, no, it is, and it's fun. It is fun. Is there pressure on that because you have to have the place? 
speak in Spanish. Oh, I won't lie. Yeah, the other morning, I was like, geez, I better get out of my pajamas really quickly, just in case anyone rocks on. <laughs> it's great. And it's going to get worse, you yeah. know, that after, after, after Sunday for sure. What happens then? It's over the case of, uh, over the course of a few weeks then, Brian. Is that is that what happens, that they'll they'll put together the, the show? Oh, well, they've been putting together the show at the last year. No, but I mean, in terms of, will it come out in dribs and drabs? I'm trying to remember how rumours. Uh, well, they've, they've a couple of uh, cl- snippets, I'd say, on Instagram and yes. Twitter and these things, but the episode now will air on Sunday on RTE, so it's just kind of they're giving uh, people small little snippets of um, parts yes. of the show. Yeah, yeah. So, but what I'm saying is, will we see the entire project on Sunday? Start to finish, start yeah. To finish. You'll see it all. It's a, I think it's 52 minutes altogether, right. yeah. so you'll okay, see it from yeah. start to finish, yeah. F- favourite spot in the house is what now? Ooh, oh, I have I have lots of favourite spots in the house. I suppose the kitchen is definitely one of my favourites, and and the floor, the floor, yeah. Yeah. What, so, what what's special about the floor? Um, it's uh oh, uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> uh can I say? I wonder. <laughs> oh yeah, how much of this can you say? <laughs> yeah, no, okay. it's it's so sure you'll be seeing it on Sunday, but yeah. it is definitely the floor was a small bit of a topic, and uh, yeah, we got to a happy agreement in the end. So. <laughs> a small bit of a topic. That means there was a disagreement, Brian. You. And you'll tell me the truth I on know, this. Was there, there a bit of... There wasn't really disagreement. It was just kind of what floor we wanted to go with. But all will be revealed now on Sunday. Oh, right. yeah. You've been very coy about it as well, yeah. They were, we actually found them very, very supportive. We had we had a bit of a tough time um, throughout the, the build. We were um, 21 weeks pregnant and, and just in the middle of it, we ended up losing um, our little baby girl. Oh, okay. Um, I'm so, so sorry. It, I'm so sorry, Brian. That is such, Oh, look, do you yeah. know what? It, it, it's... Um, it's something a bit of a taboo subject and I just I, I like making sure that people know what happens because I, I, I I'm only hearing about it happening to other people now um, but they were just extremely supportive so like that they that needs to be noted um, they all rode in it was really it was really oh they put their heart and soul to get us yes, in before yes. Christmas and we got in on the 19th of December so um, in that regard we just we have to thank them so much which for was that. great but, yeah. but but your tragedy put put a bit of a dampener on the excitement yeah yeah sure. a little yeah. bit Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, we had ups and downs, but they were, yeah, they were just, they were yeah. great. What was it like to get in for Christmas then, Brian? Was it was that the oh, goal sure. all along? By the way, was that? Yeah, that was our goal, I suppose. Yeah. But sure, it was mad. You know yourself now. The week before Christmas, there's so <laughs> much things happening. Um, I'm a principal of a primary school, and Kate's running her own mad story school. Um, so, flat out. so we were busy yeah. with Christmas shows, and everything's happening the week before Christmas, trying to get finished for the Christmas in, in school. So um, having this as well, and we had the reveal party on the Tuesday. Um, it was look, it was it was brilliant again before Christmas because we the two weeks over Christmas into kind of yes. Get yeah. our get everything in order, and Definitely. it's still not in order. But you know, of course, that all your pupils will be dug into this program on Sunday <laughs> night. And oh, I know they will. <laughs> they, they sure will. Uh, when I went back to school last Monday, they were asked. They were asking me. Oh, I was, we were all waiting for the first episode. They didn't realise what episode we, we were on. I said, yes, yeah. "We have to wait now till next Sunday." <laughs> Very good indeed. And of course, you'd have all the the mums and the dads asking questions as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because we have um, we have like a Montessori and after school club. So the Montessori age group. I didn't realise they'd they'd understand it as much as they do and I went in yesterday and they're like Kate I saw you on the TV <laughs> <laughs> it's like all on Sunday all on Sunday yeah. so yeah well, you're both very photogenic as well you see which I presume oh. com- 
comes into the the decision making and all process and all that. You are indeed. Um, is this kind of? It's you're only just in the door. You shouldn't be asking. But is this the home now? Is this it, Kate? Like, this you is know? our forever home. Is yeah. it? Yeah. This right. is that's what that's why we uh, put so much heart and soul into it. Really. Um. Yeah. Well, for for me anyway, <laughs> that yeah. that's it. We've got to check with you as well, uh, Brian. It, it, is, is, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, this is for our forever home now, so it's yeah. oh, we absolutely love it. Like as in it, just even even getting to settle in over Christmas, um, and uh, just now we're kind of finding light switches like, and all that kind of stuff. But it's so I just know, uh, yeah. getting nice and, and settled. It is a bungalow, but were you tempted, or again, I'm not sure how much you can tell me. But I mean, was there any attic conversion, or was it? Uh, yeah, it, that that that's another um, talking point on it. Um, there was, yeah, we, we were hoping to get upstairs and. Um, uh, off budget was was tough going. Was um, it, yeah. yeah, it was. Um, yeah. Sure, everything has just gone mad really since COVID, um, price wise and stuff. But the grants were a huge help, and yes. Claire Irwin was just phenomenal with with um, with helping us with those th- those kind of things. Yeah, and did you find within even the short time of the the the, the makeover that prices? Were, were going up even within that time Brian was Yeah that? they would have been and, and Claire I suppose would have been good to advise us as we were going along if we were looking to, to do a certain thing in the house she would have said to us if the price has gone up on this um, but no in fairness I, we can't say enough about her like she definitely mm-hmm. advised us like it wouldn't probably be in in our area of expertise building right. and such so like any mm-hmm. advice we got so it was brilliant to have her um, yeah. Talking us through the different things, which is great. Would you advise people out there who might be thinking of getting involved with the program? Was it was it overall? Was it a good experience, Kate? Overall, yeah. It like it had its it, it had its um, pros and cons. It, um, the, it was uh, very like it was stressful, and then you're being recorded at stressful yes. times. If I'm being honest, <laughs> yeah. and then um, and then it was great fun. Like Dermot is great fun, and, yeah. and then he kind of nearly lightens stress, stressful situations. So right. um, yeah, like as in overall we're thrilled we definitely wouldn't have um, been able to get everything that we got done by ourselves we just wouldn't have had the knowledge where where we work with children you know we don't um, have as much knowledge on the building world so um, their expertise were just yeah amazing yeah right of course they're all asking me here where is the house um, <laughs> <laughs> will out, I give an air coat <laughs> will we just give a general it's out the Borland Road it's out the Borland Road yeah with, with that lovely view of the, the, the yeah. Rock of Cashel there well we wish you both much much happiness it's this Sunday at half past nine, isn't this it? This Sunday at yes. half, past half past nine. Could I pop something? My dad will kill me if I don't <laughs> advertise the Ten Montessori and after school club. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> why not? He's like, I, I, myself and my sister run the run um, the Den Montessori and after school club, and right. our dad is like and a business manager. It's in it's in Cashel area, so we have a couple of Montessori's and a couple of after school clubs. And right. um, he was like, if you go on there and don't <laughs> promote your business, and have you still places? Them. Have you still places available? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're okay. they're constantly you have to book in in advance yeah. for Montessori, yeah. and um, yeah, and there's still some after school club places available. So, oh, we'll right. and the business is called the Den Montessori the and Den after school. All right. Lovely to see you both, and thanks for your great fun, and thanks for coming into <laughs> half past nine on Sunday. Room to improve uh, with Brian and uh, Kate. Much happiness to you both. Thank you. Thank News you, and information's coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on! You can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Oh six seven two four one 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 or Slattery's Garage. Ie.
1800 The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 And of course, you can email tip today at tipfm.com. It's time for a Friday panel. Delighted to be joined in the studio by Mark Small. And Mark is a naval architect and mediator. Liam Brown is with us, community activist. And Paula Carney Hoffler with us, data protection and company law expert. And you're all extremely welcome. And thank you indeed. Uh, no prizes for guessing what we're going to uh, kick off with. The Department of Integration um, telling us 160 beds will be provided for international protection applicants in Racket Hall outside of Ross Gray. In recent weeks, we've seen arson attacks on accommodation centres, uh, inner party revolt from local politicians, a lucky escape for 14 migrants found in that container in Ross Lair as stories on immigration continue to occupy the headlines and political discussion. The debate is only getting more and more divisive. Mark, can I can I start with you? Um, yeah, we're, it, it, things are getting very restless indeed and divided, are they not? Oh, I think not even getting divided. I think it's this complete, complete division as it is at the moment. But I think there's an element... I mean, there is division, but I think there's an element of, of unity in some respects is that um, communities aren't are, are feeling that they're not being uh, brought into the conversation about what's going on in the different areas. And I think that's the fundamental problem we have here is I, I feel like the government are like rabbits in the headlights. They don't know. I don't think there's no plan. They don't have, don't seem to have anything, any idea what they want to do next. Um, there isn't a strategy across the country that says we're going to we, where they would say look look at different areas and say okay there's a there is a facility in some areas because there's excess. Well, there's very little excess any facilities, but you say right this area could maybe take a couple. This is that. It just seems to be oh someone puts their hand up as I have a building. Oh yeah, we put them in there. There's no thought process is, mm. is into well what are the local facilities mm. in relation to say uh, care hospital mm. doctors mm. Uh, are there already lots are there already large yeah. groups of people yeah. already in that and then I think and then there's this element of and, and I do have a problem with is that if they put in all men suddenly suddenly all the men are all rapists I mean I think this characterization um, I also can't understand it's like we do these mixed communities why can't them be combinations of say single men in groups with families why is it that it's either all families mm. or all which would make it much more acceptable I well, think, like, I think it was would I mean mix, if you yeah. if you mix because then you, like, you put a whole bunch of men in one place or you put a whole bunch of uh, you know families in another place mm. I think it like we mm. try to do social inclusion in relation to housing why can't we do it the same in this but I, I think it's endemic of the the lack of planning by the government and I I mean this is across Europe it's not just an Irish problem all across Europe was having similar problems in relation mm. to immigration. It's not going to be just war like Ukraine at the moment and then the Israeli conflict as well. We're going to see a hell of a lot more of this with climate change. Mm. So mm. I think the planning is, is we have we have an immediate uh, crisis, but I think the government need to plan for that. And, and maybe maybe there should be a minister assigned specifically to immigration because this is something that's going to become much, 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 much more important to us ongoing. On the other side of it, we do need Im- immigration mm. into the country because, you know, with, in relation to our ageing population, the growth we need. But then if we have that immigration, we have to be able to provide the housing, the services. So there, there is a plan. But I think the government, and I, it, I think it's all governments, 
that we've had. I mean, it's not just the current government, but I think the all governments have failed to plan in any shape or forward going forward. Paul, what, what about you on this? Because, you know, we were chatting a little bit off air on it and, you know, I'm sure you go along with a lot of what Mark said. Totally but, agree with Mark, yeah. But but you do have <laughs> I issues. Know. I know, it's very funny. You do have issues where, of course, the arson that's cons- happening. Yeah, the so the, it's well. the criminality that's coming out of the, the, the back end of this. So people are, are upset, they're expressing their anger, but what they're doing is they're burning down property and it's a criminal offence. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Do they really realise they're not on some jihad or some, you know, quest to to support, you know, their community? What they're doing is is, is committing a crime and they need to understand. So I have big issues with that. Mm. I have big issues as well with, you know, identifying immigrants as the ones who are causing the problem. It's not the immigrants causing the problem. It's our government's ability to cope with the immigrants that's causing the problem. That's the problem. Do you know what I mean? So when you've got communities coming out and shouting terrible comments about immigrants, how much how they feel? They've come from really difficult situations. They've travelled to our country to get support, which we should be giving them. However, they're being, they are being criminalised. They're being identified as the bad doers. And I, I like, it's like what Mark says, all these, you know, the men, you know, they're all rapists and I can't let my child out at night. Show me the proof of that. Show me the imperative proof that that's but, the case. But is that not a case, Paula, that it, it, it's not about showing you the proof. It's just the natural intimidation that people might feel. Particularly, I have to say, women might feel. And even that the, the, the couple of hundred uh, young men came from Dublin. It doesn't matter where they came yeah, but from. They're, that they're you tagging would naturally it. feel intimidated in some way because they don't have much to do or to mm. occupy them. Absolutely. And that's another thing is the services. But yeah. I, un- I understand where you're coming from. I'm a woman. I understand, you know, if there's a big group of men hanging yeah. around in a corner, yeah. I'd feel intimidated they are. to a certain degree. Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter. They're, they're targeting these individuals yeah. with that that label mm. and it's not good it's not good it, it, it's not good for us in our communities um, the government needs to ensure there's, there's facilities available you know for mm. people to go through and I agree totally with Mark you need to mix the groups mm. you know men in a single men in with families is very beneficial for them psychologically yeah. you know they're yeah. going to feel supported they're going to be still close to a family group instead of shoving a load of men in, into a hostel together with, with nothing in the background but if, if we end up in the situation that we're in which is uh, many of these people now in, in, in tents and weather like, like we're experiencing yeah. at the moment are we full? See, this is the problem. You know what I mean? I would believe Ireland has hit a, a, a level now where we actually physically cannot take any more because we've nowhere to put them. Was it 340 people in tents up in mm. the Central Media mm. Hospital? or uh, the, yeah, Central the Mental Hospital. Mental Hospital yes, in Dublin. Yeah. Where the, the building itself is vacant. Yes. Like, doesn't make any sense to me. I would be concerned that if any more people come over, and they will be coming over, there there is going to be absolutely nowhere to put them. There's, there's nothing. There's not going to be even a tent left. So, so therefore, what? There's, there's the process of we, looking at we, caps. Do we call a halt? You, well, but there's no intention. There's no intention. See, the difficulty that. with calling a halt is that we do have a certain amount of obligation, not really obligation, but a certain amount of you kind of humanitarian aspect that we need to offer some sort of 
asylum to these people who are seeking it to, to the to the real ones but, but to everybody Paula not to us see this is where I have a problem it's it's the processing of people mm. coming into the country yes the government is not it's it, one it's very long the process of actually even investigating somebody so you know we've got different types of people coming in we've got people from environmental factors humanitarian whereas wars going on we've got economic factors we've got people who are afraid of persecution because they may be socially different in their country and they're coming over here because they believe they're going to be murdered or whatever it's the process of us investigating those valid claims that takes way too long way too long Liam you've, you're copiously taking notes there while, while Paula and Mark were, were, were speaking Your, your general thoughts on this first of all Okay, fine. I am taking notes. I was taking notes last night as well, and it's about time to start handing in a couple of receipts. First time I came in on a Friday forum was the 31st of May, 2022. And on that date, I said there should be a cap on numbers a year and a half ago, that it should be stopped in May nineteen in sorry May 2022 for at least 90 days until we put together uh, a wraparound uh, department which would look at all asylum seekers coming in, especially from Ukraine at the time, because that's where most were coming from. And now we've got a bigger issue with IPAs coming from Africa, the Middle East, Albania, Georgia, these places. So that's 18 months ago I said this should have stopped. Now, I'm glad to see Mark here because I was on two programmes at least with Mark since then when Mark said to me, no, we shouldn't have any stop on, on Ukrainian uh, refugees coming in, that they were suffering a war. And I said, I have no issue with the fact that people are fighting a war, but you cannot bring people in when the resources are not there. I've never had a problem with immigration. I have a problem with resources. There is absolutely no point bringing people into a country that doesn't have the resources to look after them because you're going to cause problems not only in the place they're coming from, but you're going to cause problems which has happened now in the place where they're arriving, which is in Ireland. Now you take Racket Hall. One of, the, one of the things I spoke about, and all of this is on the Tip FM website if people want to look at it. One of the reasons I spoke on the 31st of May 2022 was because of the tourism industry in the country were suffering capacity problems because the government were taking over hotels. The last hotel in Ross Grey has now been taken over. That's gone. So that's a tourism, a tourism mm. facility. It looks like, I don't know, but it looks like people are going to be made unemployed from it. But apart from the fact people are going to be made un- unemployed, if you take a hotel, a 40-room hotel out of a town like Ross Grey, it's the same as closing down a 100-person factory. Because the amount of money that people will spend in Ross Grey from the hotel over a weekend is much the same as what people would have disposable income if they worked in a factory. Now, it's not only the local uh, industry in the towns where you're talking about the pubs, the shops, the cafes. But you're a musician. You've played in Racket Hall, I'm sure. Many times. So yeah. you now have other consequences. You have your inter- The entertainment industry is going to well, suffer. that's happening all over the country. Because I know, this I'm yeah. saying. It's happening in other places for the same reason. Now, when you don't play in a hotel, the people who come to, 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 to uh, listen to you and Muriel and the other um, entertainers, they have no place to go. So you have a lot of people who used to go out to listen socially to meet people now don't have a place to go so it's not just this one small effect that it looks like having of a place being full or a, a, a knock on on the local economy it has much wider much wider implications and that's 18 months ago that I said stop then and plan now we've finally got people around to the idea of stop and plan so we're 18 months behind the curve as it is now, I looked at some of the figures. There's 550 people a week coming into the country, still coming into the country. 500, that's a village. That's a whole village a week still coming into the country when we are putting people into tents. That's madness. It, we've, gone from, we've gone from a humanitarian effort, mm. which we started with, to, as far as I'm concerned, being a money-making effort. 
You're now looking at business people and saying, I can make money out of this if I turn my hotel, if I turn my hostel, if I turn my B&B into an asylum seeker centre. And they're not going to change back, Fran. And uh, what about uh, the movement of the government where Ukraine is concerned that now instead of 200 and whatever, they're going to get 3880 as and from the end of the month if they come here. So there's a a bit of a U-turn. This is typical of a government who don't know what they're doing and want to kick a can down the road by three months. Because I'll tell you the problem that will cause, Fran. First of all, I think that they're going to be brought to court by uh, an NGO for treating the exact same uh, refugees coming from the same country differently. So that's the first thing. I think they're going to end up in court over that. But let's imagine that it it, it does happen. You still have to provide accommodation while you're giving someone 38 euro a week. And after three months, those people will then have to go into the private rented sector because they'll be moved out of state accommodation. And there isn't. We already know there is no private sector accommodation. But here's a big kicker that people don't realise. When they are pushed into private sector accommodation, they'll be given €800 ARP, which is a tax-free payment that they can give to a landlord to take them in. Now, an Irish person who needs accommodation in Tipperary will get a maximum of €600 HAP if they need accommodation, a maximum 600, and you practically have to be destitute to get 600 euro. You generally get between 350 and 400 euro. So you now have, excuse me, <clears throat> you now have going into the private rented sector, Ukrainians coming out of state, uh, of 90 day state accommodation into the private sector with 800 euro to spend on accommodation against an Irish person with 400 euro. So this is going to add to the so big divide now going to that's add out to, there, is that? Not only a big divide, but again, we know we yes. don't have the rented accommodation as it is, and we're now going to put, what, 500 extra people a week into it? Mark, have you changed your mind? No, I, I think I, I haven't changed my mind in, in this respect. Um, I mean, all you have to look at is say, look at Italy, Greece, Poland. I mean, in comparison to the numbers that we have, they're much worse. I mean, they are. I mean, the, the, there's Greek islands which are completely full. There's people living on the beach. I well, know. Is that the yardstick we should use? No, it's not. And I think I think it's a Euro- I think the, we need to be working look at this at a more of European level. And I think there's I think there are countries that have been are, are doing an unfair amount. I mean, in in, in in comparison to it. And I think there is a flat rate where it's whatever twenty or thirty thousand per uh, per. Um, Immigrant, if you decide not to take the person, the government will pay that to the other country. I think having it as a flat rate is seen to be a bit unfair in comparison to say per capita we are probably one of the higher countries with yes, with, with refugees. I yes. mean, and and that's accepted as that we are the same with say you can say Italy, Greece, and Poland because mm. they are the I think border. We're ninth is fair. Yeah, I think they're the border. Like Poland because it's Ukraine, uh, Greece, and Italy because yep. of the immigrants coming across the Mediterranean. There are certainly places like Nor- like uh, Finland, uh, Sweden, mm. Denmark. Which are which have a much much lower lower intake, uh, for for whatever reason, I think if countries are doing their bit, like Ireland is at a, at a level, well then they they should be allowed to say okay, well instead of it's twenty to thirty thousand, maybe it's less. And countries which aren't doing their amount, they should be have to pay into a fund based on right. the amount of it. So so then we have and we have to deal we have to deal with this on a European level. But, but what about the, do we need to close things down until we can get ourselves together we, in some I, way? It's, it's it's not possible to close the borders. I mean you I mean you look at America tries to close the borders you can't you cannot close your border. I mean physically it's impossible to actually close a border. They talked about it during think about it, we can go back to all we have to do is go back to COVID. Close the border. You can't 
Right, but, but you can't, can't police. You can't police who's coming in, but, and but, you can't deport yeah. if, yeah, if but, there's a situation but, but where, where process, people are yeah, not but, legitimately here. Yeah, but deport to deport someone, you have to go through a process of mm. deportation. And again, I'm back. I, I but totally then it's agree. a voluntary deportation, and people just no, aren't voluntarily no, no, going no. home. I'd have to go back to what Paula said: is that our process of which we deal with people coming in is completely defunct. Yes, it's like you can have someone in in with direct provision for 19 years. It's ridiculous. So the process by which we check people out and say, yes, you are valid or you're not mm. valid. If it's economic, if you're an economic migrant, go back to your own country. Sorry, that's not it. If you're war mm. or persecution, well, then we have to deal with it. Uh, but we're yeah. not dealing and with Paula, it quick enough. are you satisfied that, and I keep hearing this, I heard it from Jackie Cahill earlier on, that the people who are presenting themselves at our borders or our airports or whatever that they are properly checked out and fingerprinted no. and they're double-checked no. that they don't have criminal records. I'm not, not satisfied. I'm not no. satisfied with that, no. The, the due diligence needs... The, the need, you need to have a specialist unit to deal with yes. it, realistically yes. speaking. The Guardi Shiokan are fantastic. They understand a level and same with our airport yes. police and coming in. But we probably need to focus on the no-leave-to-land a little bit more. Yes. Where Just we can do no one? no leave to land. Okay, yes. It's a process in place that when someone enters the country illegally, so if they're coming into Dublin, they enter illegally, they can be turned around and put back on the next available flight back to where they came from. Yes, at the expense so, of the airline. Uh, yeah, exactly. So the thing is, what you would need to do is you would need to look at the criteria in relation to being able to identify somebody who would classify under no leave to land. Mm. I don't think that's really been looked at closely enough. I think what happens, someone comes in with, they've burnt their passport or disposed it on the plane or, you know, whatever, shredded it up and they come in, you know, and then they go, I seek asylum. You need to be able to identify what you think the criteria is to switch that around. I mean, and that, that comes back to some of the implications of, of the European Union in that, you know, deporting back to, to mm. a, another member state. If they come in from, say, if there's a direct flight in, say, say from Dubai or from America, well, then yes, it's much easier to do because you send them back because they have no right without having visas to get into Europe. Mm. But it is more of a challenge because, because of, of yeah, the you know, look, freedom and, of movement. You're not... Well, you're shaking There's your not a country in the world that an Irish person could go into without a passport. There's not a country in the world. I've done it. I've worked on three different continents. England. You wouldn't... Uh, apart from... Okay, sorry. Apart from England, <laughs> yeah. there's not a country in the world that you wouldn't go into without a passport. There's not a country you'd try to go into without a passport. Right. Try to go into America without a passport and tell them you tore it up on the plane. Try to go into Australia without a passport and tell them you tore it up. Right, but, but, but if you're an asylum seeker, you can seek asylum and you can seek asylum. Hold on a minute. Hold, hold, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. How can you prove you're being persecuted? That's when you're pretending. When you're pretending, you don't you don't even know who you are. Yes. But that's our problem. I would imagine if I was seeking asylum from Ireland, I'd bring as much documentation as I could to our country to show them that I was being persecuted. And that's what's being thrown around around the Geneva Convention. Absolutely. That that is part of it, that you prove that you're coming from an area. The Geneva Convention, right, is is very straightforward. There's there's no ambiguity. Now, the thing is, it's it's not mandatory, it's not policed. Mm. Okay, Mm. so let's clear that up. You know, you don't. You're not obligated, but yeah. it is a, hum- it's a humanitarian. It's a humanitarian it? yes. uh, you know what yes. I mean? But the thing is, it does say very clearly that the responsibility on the immigrant, the person coming in, or the person seeking asylum, is that you have your documentation. Yeah. You show photographs of where you were yes. beaten, and, 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 you and prove your, your persecution. You prove, and yes. then you can, yes. you can. They will, you know. Oh yeah, come in. You won't yeah. be on the leave to land. You, you know, yeah. you can be accepted in. Or my, my, my passport was stolen from me, yes. but I have all this other documentation yeah. Yeah. to prove. Absolutely. But do you see the way it's moved? 
removed as well in the conversations from all were uh, obligations yeah. from Europe. That was because of the Lisbon Treaty. That was said. No, there, there's no, no there obligation, isn't obligation. On it. Then it was the UN. Now it seems to be everybody's thrown around what, the what? Geneva. It's, it's like it's people are just trying. Yeah. They're looking up documents, yeah. looking up things, and going, "Oh, the Geneva. Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah, 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 that. It doesn't work that way. What we have, Fran, and let's be honest about it, we have a cowardly political class who have been so used to for decades talking down to people, patronising people, expecting people not to know what the, what the important questions are and expecting that we still don't know. We have people coming on here. I've listened to some of your, 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 your speakers here during the week. Absolutely brilliant people. Vicky, for, I know Vicky from, from Mullinahone. Yeah. Really well-spoken, knows what she's talking about. Helen knows what I'm talking about. They're able to quote the Lisbon Treaty. They're able to quote the Geneva Convention. Mm. They're able to, able to quote international law. And you have politicians coming on here I treat them like they're idiots. I mean, that's the problem. You, you have an issue here. This is one that really bugs me. One of the biggest issues you have with young single males coming into this country, and it's been said a couple of times here already, is that women have an issue. But women are being spoken down to as if, look, don't worry about it. You're grand. You don't know. There's no, there's no uh, reason to be worried. Mm. Today is the second anniversary of the death of Ashley Murphy. Okay? The second, the second anniversary of the death of Ashley Murphy. Mm. And I can tell you that when I was in Cashel and when there was a meeting about asylum seekers coming to Cashel, that was the most common name I heard mm. from women in Cashel. Yeah, but you have no, the commissioner coming out and saying that there's no correlation between... Because they, do not, because they do not take into account the ethnicity of someone who commits a crime because they feel if they do, it's discriminatory. Mm. So you cannot come out and say that there's no increase in crime from a certain ethnic yeah. community because you're not taking the Is figures in the first place. Is that Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm horrified. I mean, I think that's it's a, it's a it is a a disgraceful characterization that immigrants are the people who are causing crime yeah. against women. I, I never is, one second. I never said they were. I never said I, they were. I said that is the that is the fear that women I have. Think, and and you can pretend. Is, sorry, Mark. Is, let me finish, Mark, because before well, you, you go back I, to me, I start. Yeah, but just to, just just to clarify my point before you before you come at me, I said it's a fear. I never said it was a rational fear. Okay. I never said it's so, backed up. Right, yes, so it's this, this, yeah. is, this is a yeah. common... You, you see it on, on a lot of social media. This is a common uh, characterization of immigrants coming in, especially men coming in, that, mm -hmm. that they are the people who are committing the crimes. There is no statistical proof that that is the case or not the case. Um, and I think it is dangerous that this is... And this is what does cause... I mean, people, people are... They go on Facebook, they go on these. And, I mean, fear is something that... I mean, and, of course, fear of the unknown is something that is a genuine hmm. fear. But it has to be a, a fear based on some elements of, of facts or some elements of information that is generally correct. The What I see on the likes of uh, Twitter and Facebook in certain areas where it's just completely baseless fears. Hmm. There are genuine things, and I think there are genuine fears for people because any group, doesn't matter whether it's Irish or any nationals or whatever, groups of men hanging around does cause... I mean, for me, I mean, I mean, I can no, go no. downtown in Clamel here with people who are from Clamel and there's groups of yeah. younger people hanging out that makes me nervous. So it's not just... And, 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 and Paul is absolutely correct. It's not just the immigrants. It's groups of men around. But there is, seems to be a characterization that it's particularly immigrant men that are the problem. And that's what I have a problem with. It's not. It, yeah. I think it's there is groups of men. Yes, I think you put it. You put a group of any groups of men together on their own with nothing to do. Tensions will rise, and this. And it's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that's it's incorrect there, but tensions will rise, mm -hmm. and that's why I believe that that. And if we've said it already, is that the, when they're putting together these 
centers that they should be mixed, be it men, women, mm. families, you know, so that there's more of what right, would be a society. But for that, there'd have to be a plan and a vision. Oh, yeah, but do do you go along with what Mark is saying there, that the, it, there's not an issue... There is, and I agree with Mark because, like, it's like what you said. Any group of men is going to make you feel uncomfortable as a woman walking out in the street in the evening time on their own. You know what I mean? It's it's a baseless accusations um, on immigrants coming in, male immigrants coming in. You can't, you cannot paint everybody with the same brush. Is there data anywhere on this? Because as Mark said, we don't know one way or the other. But when when you're collecting, when uh, on Garda Shiakana would have crime statistics. Yes. So they would look at, and of course, your ethnicity is going to be reported in. There's nothing to stop you. It's not discriminatory. No, it's actually... I, I'm not it's, so it's sure not about that, because I, I've heard a description lately of somebody who perpetrated a crime, and it was a limerick man who yeah. was described. Yeah. So that could be anybody who lives in... Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean it's published in the press, but yes. they will have yeah. internal statistics in relation to the type of people. I've just covered a course that I'm doing at the moment on criminology, and, and we're looking at policing structures, and, and some of the statistics that we see about perpetrators who end up going to prison etc is based on you can see you know different right, so ethnic when, when the commissioner came out and said that that is based on factual data that he would be able to look at I would assume the they would have yeah. factual data like every crime that is committed you know even the you know I mean when fi- files are going for to, to court they're going to have documented they're going to have ethnicity in their mm. country of origin they're going to have all these details anyway and and when you're when you're evaluating when you're doing a, a study on you know in certain areas you know it's like you know, is there more stabbings by in Limerick by Limerick do you know what I mean or different things like that you're going to look at that, those qualifications mm. or those categorizations absolutely right Liam those uh, are not collected because if they were to be used for profiling, that's why they don't. That's why they don't no, collect. That's incorrect. Because I mean, when you no, you, but you, you profile you, anyway. Okay, one, one, okay, one second. It's and part I, of profiling. I, one second. Let's go back to where I was. First of all, I didn't accuse anybody of committing crimes from the immigrant community. I said there was a fear, and at least you've both you've both accepted that there is an increased hmm? fear. That's the problem, and that it's not a fear of and that increased fear is down to lack of communication. That increased fear is down to this idea that we'll bring people in with 24 hours notice and not have an absolute clue of who they are, where they came from. Mm. That increased fear is on this this unvetted, this military age men, which I don't go along with, by the way, because it's very hard to vet somebody who is coming in with genuine asylum because you're expected to go back to the country where they're trying to get away from them. Yeah. And hey, will, will you say this guy is OK? But the idea then, we have government coming out, oh, no, we do vet them, we fingerprint them, we take a picture. That tells you nothing. No. Unless unless somebody is in an Interpol database for being a serial criminal, that tells you nothing. So it's this constant pretense by government trying to get ahead of the next problem, trying to get ahead of that accusation instead of actually planning. Like right. I said, 18 months ago, two years ago, this problem began to emerge and nothing has been done in two years and we're now two years behind the curve and right. we are no closer to actually I mean, planning. I will, I, will, I will agree with right. Liam. I must take a break. So well, it's good. Just yes, very yeah. quick, I will agree with one thing in that someone who arrives on a plane into Dublin airport who says they don't have a passport or who burnt the passport, well then yes, they should be deported because they have to get, they had they they to have got on the plane mm. with the passport, with the passport yes. and they have their boarding power. So therefore, now the challenge is, is when you arrive at the immigration desk, you don't know what flight you came off. So who are you? 
So the challenge is, is which plane do they put them back on? But right. that's why so, we need a specialist so, unit. Yeah. So I think I mean there there and this can be done because I've been in airports yes. now where it's all where you're everything is 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 your photo is you go it's all uh, well, that's facial recognition. I, I was just going to say to you, I I I've, I've heard that argument lots of times. Oh, you know we can't tell which plane they can. But sure, there's there's no, cameras. I mean, now, now it's facial, cameras I mean, everywhere. I, I, get, I board aircraft now, especially in America and other places where you board by facial recognition. Yeah. yeah. So you actually take a photograph. You 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 don't have your you don't yeah. have your boarding card. You yeah. walk up. There's a photograph taken. As soon as you get into the airport, yeah. right. there's a photograph taken. So it's taken. not really an argument, no. is it? So, yeah. but therefore, and I totally agree, is if you arrive in the desk and you had, I have lost my passport. Well, sorry, you go back to wherever you came from, and we have facial recognition that tells you where you came from. All Absolutely, right. and that's a procedure that you should put in. They should put in place. They need, as I said, specialist team with the right technology. Why is to be there able not to an appetite yeah. to do that? I have no, no idea. idea. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why are there four people in a studio in Tipperary telling them that for the last eighteen months? And yet nobody's thought about it. Maybe we and should get sure, have our own government. And I'm really. sure, but uh, you know, all jokes aside, this yes. has been a conversation in the country yeah. for the last the 18 of months. Of it's not. We've all been on planes. And very quickly, because so I really need. Them I, down? I, I really, invite them down. You know, for I really need to go to the ad break. But okay. yeah. can I just very quickly ask you? Um, uh, the the teacher came out with this thing. Then we have no right to veto anybody who comes into our communities. Just really quickly, do you go along with that? Uh, with caveats, yes. But but you see, no. Yeah. You, you no, 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 I think the community... He was very... A, a, no, a community cannot say... He I said nothing about caveats. He no, said, no, okay. So then, uh, yes, I agree with him. If, yeah. you have to, if you have to be absolutist about it, because then you can't say, I can veto me coming right. in because I I drive a different car. Right. So you can't veto anyone. No, the, but if, if there was 160 of you coming in driving different cars... Well, that's a caveat now. You've just put a caveat in. <laughs> okay, what about you, Paula? Uh, vetoing? You can't veto. No. You can't. You cannot do that. You cannot discriminate. You cannot say you because you're from here, you can't come here. Right. Be like me moving down from Dublin to Tipperary. Oh, you're not moving in beside us because you're from Dublin. Although I'm sure right. they probably said we'll, that. But sorry, but Paula, we literally have that. That actually, that actually exists in, in, lo- in, in local planning, in local planning and development plans. We have where areas where you can't move into areas where you can't live unless you're related to somebody in the area. Areas you can't build a house. No, we can't build a house. house. You can't build a house. No, but exactly. But but this is what I'm. This is what I'm saying. We already have done this, but we've already done this. So why is he coming out saying we can't do it when it's already done? I really, I really need to go to the break. Right back to you in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And you're very welcome back indeed to our Friday panel and uh, Marcus, Marcus Phyllis and Liam and Paula as well. As I say, we should keep the mics open during the break. Uh, that's, oh God, that's, no, 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 not a good but, idea. But maybe not. Uh, the next subject sort of plays into some of what we've been talking about because over 50 nursing homes have closed nationwide in the last uh, six years and it shows a reduction of 360 beds from the beginning of the pandemic and seemingly uh, large for profit operators are the dominant providers of nursing home care in Ireland uh, since the uh, pandemic and nursing homes Ireland saying that the ESRI report released must act as a wake-up call for governments and we discussed this uh, during the week Paula uh, nursing homes um, it's become a big issue because the for-profit large-scale ones seem to be in the urban areas yeah. where there's a large population. So therefore, what happens when smaller nursing homes are closing down in rural Ireland? So that's the problem. It's They're going to high-density areas where they're guaranteed 
you know, their their facilities yeah. will be populated, um, and and they're not moving out to to kind of the the smaller communities like Tipperary or you know more rural communities. It's a big issue. It's a big issue. And when the family owned operated organisations are closing down because probably they can't compete to mm. a certain level. Um, it's it's leaving us in a very sticky area. Like we have very very small amount of public long term residential care units in Ireland anyway. I think it's only about twenty three percent. The rest is privately owned. And then these are big organisations, big money makers. If we can pushing up the price of private uh, that, of care, that, and that's that's, thing, that's where it, we are. You know, so it's it's quite. Yeah, difficult. And the smaller nursing homes being paid so much less than the government run uh, homes as well, which is just, yeah, just, which is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So the there other, needs to be something. The other on. thing too, Liam, is that some nursing homes that closed down for a period of time, then reopened again to house uh, people coming into the country. Is that part of what's yeah, happening? It is is part of the problem. Basically, if I'm we're commodifying we're commodifying care. Mm. Uh, we're making care something that you, you do for profit, not for looking after people. Mm. So we were looking at people as economic units. Well, it's and a business for everybody, though. Yes, it's, even it, it even is, the smaller ones. I mean, it's it is a business. a business. It is a business for everybody. But let's be honest about it. We had a lot more public beds uh, for elderly care in yeah. the country up to not long ago. And I'm just after writing down here about the St. Patrick's Elder Care Unit in Cashel. There's still no word on that, where it's going to be built, when it's going to be built. You know, we have an ageing population. We can see that it's getting older literally day by day. But we have people going into um, a fair deal who basically can't afford it. You have families who are being, whatever wealth they've they've amassed over years has been destroyed in a couple of years because of having to pay a thousand euro a week for elderly care. And now we have the other addition to it of where people who own nursing home units are thinking, look, there's more money in asylum mm-hmm. seekers. You know, they, in, they don't have HICWA. Um, yeah, we don't have HICWA. Yeah. We don't have to have. Uh, we don't have to have qualified nurses. We don't have to have one nurse for every two or three people. Where we can put four to six asylum seekers into a room. They're there long term. We're getting more money for them. So let's close down the care of elderly people and let's mm. open up the care of asylum seekers. Of course, most people would prefer to be looked after in their own homes, and mm. that would help the situation greatly. But but that. That those services aren't there either, Mark. No, yeah. no, they aren't. And I just want to address one thing: is that um, as of I think as of about uh, two months ago, um, I, 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 knowing this was coming up, I know some people who are involved in the nursing home business. Yes. So I just kind of asked them some issues, some of the issues with that, that are associated with it. One after two months, as of two months ago, if you close a nursing home, you're not allowed to change its use for eighteen months. Yes. So that's changed. So now if you can't. And now, that's not to say that prior to that, that, that nursing homes would have changed, but I think it was a month or two months ago, that has now changed. So you can't, if you are registered as a nursing home, you won't be allowed to change its use and, and enter into the provision of other services for 18 months. So that's kind of basically stopped that. But I asked, I asked this uh, a particular yeah, but person. Is, sorry, Mark, is that retrospective? I mean, no, had... not retro- no, not retrospective. So okay. if, you have already, if you already close it and you change your use, then that's fine. But if you, if you decide to, let's say today I decide I have a nursing home, I'm going to mm. close it, I can't change okay. its use for 18 months. Right. Okay. But I asked them, this person some some issues in relation to what, why are them closing and there was three main issues one is that there was new certainly some of the smaller nursing homes there's new guidelines in relation to say numbers of in rooms uh, facilities be it uh, en suite mm. um, and then provisions of staffing and, and so, COVID drove a lot of and co- yes COVID did drive yeah. a lot of that and the problem you have there is that some people were more old in it the investment they would have to put into it was prohibitive and it's a long term view I asked him, said, well, why are the big guys coming in? He said, it's pure and simple, financing. Mm. Mm. He said, it, I, mean, and these, I mean, I was staggered by it. A nursing home per room costs about 220 to 250,000 per room, so per person, to build. Oh. 
it's like any hotels. If you have a hotels out there, there are minimum numbers that make it economic. So the size of a, the size of a nursing home that's economical to run is about 50 to 60 beds. So you're looking at an investment of a bit, between about 15, 16 million to build a nursing home that is economic. Right. The problem with that is there is no there is no financing for that in Ireland. The banks won't lend it to you. No one will lend it. The government won't do it. So that's why we have that, and it's, it's just in. it's a fact of life. Yes. Also, the return that these guys look for is about six percent. So the money that they're getting is not to the level that people think because of a number of issues. One is. They, there, and you mentioned there earlier this, this disparity between the public sector and the private sector. Mm. Um, the private, a private sector bed, they get about eleven hundred euros mm. per bed per uh, per person. The public sector works out at seventeen hundred to nineteen hundred, so they're getting about eight to nine hundred euros per bed more in the public sector. In the public sector, they don't they don't have to pay for the building because that's done by the office mm. of public works. So therefore, there's no financing based on that. So already, it's a very tight margins, but but in relation to this. Um, so there is a number of very particular issues, which is why they're reducing numbers. Also, why the financing is coming in from overseas. And then obviously, they're clear that if you're going to build a 50, 60 bedroom uh, unit, you need to have it in an area where there's a reasonable population. Main, a lot of it to do with staffing and access, because you have 50 or 60 beds, yeah. you a lot of staff traveling to it you know so so there's a lot of reasons why it's 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 moving to certain areas which which is kind of logical when when you when you go through the numbers on it but i mean i asked him what is the solution and and really he's really the, this this person was saying is that there needs to be again we're back to the same thing mm. Government planning. And the model that, and he said, like, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can look at the Dutch models or, or a lot of European models mm-hmm. where they have these, they have this system is where it's not a nursing home. I think most people's vision of a nursing mm-hmm. home is long in, term. Is it being a bed and there's a nurse yeah. outside? He said, yeah. that's not the European mm-hmm. model. The European model is that they would have people who are perfectly capable mm-hmm. but want. A, a group. So you go into this. You you buy a you you would lease or buy a a house yes. in an area which then is connected to a nursing home, and you have stepped up care. So you might be perfectly good initially, and you and you have you go into this area. You can only sell and mm. back it to, to the to the part to the to the grouping. Then it progresses on that if you get as you need more care, or you said I want mm. my meals paid for, or I want a nurse coming in, so you can progress up and eventually, obviously like the morgue out mm. the back, obviously mm. kind of thing to be morbid mm. about it, but it's. But you can stay within this community for maybe twenty years, mm. and mm. you need the care as you go. He said, but the government aren't looking at that. They seem to be just looking at the hospital yeah. type nursing home. Yeah, and is is that the is that the problem with this that Absolutely. we need to look at a different uh, yeah. version of this? In we do. Yeah. It's elderly. You know, our elderly community, and we're all getting older yeah. by the day. <laughs> um, Unfortunately, are, are, are very, are are very you know, you know what I mean. They're they're great. They get around the whole lot, and we need when they need to be in a community environment. Yeah. My 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 own. I I've a very long experience with with a nursing home. My dad was in a nursing home for six years, mm. um, and. We were blessed with the nursing home. He had beautiful room and fantastic care. Now he was mo- he couldn't get out of the bed, but there was other residents there that could enjoy a more independent mm. yeah. style of mm. living, mm. and their family could be more present. But there was nothing else available. Yes. So I think having these communities, setting yeah. up these elder communities, yeah. where you know they they can be part of the 
current, the existing yeah. community that's there, but be supported and have all the amenities that they need. But then you also need to add in like the bus routes and things like exactly. which, I mean, which, which, which aren't have, in rural Ireland. You know what I mean? You are hopping the bus yeah. into town. You know, mm. you might be eighty, but you're 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 still mobile. You you, you still have your faculties. You can pop yes. into and the you're shops still part yourself. Of the larger, larger community. Exactly. Yes, Liam, we yeah. actually have one of those in Cashel, St Patrick's Gardens. That's right, and, yeah. and it, it's a fantastic, there, yeah. fantastic mm. area in Cashel. And you have the daycare centre right there. Some and you have the daycare centre, and it's next. It's next to the hospital. I mean, if you need if you need additional nursing care, it's right there beside you. But I'm still looking at there's two big plan applications that's been put into into Cashel um, in the last couple of months. We're still looking at building three and four bedroom houses. And it's nothing. Every single housing development seems to be three and four bedroom houses. Now I've got to a stage in my life where I have two kids um, going to college in Dublin. I now have a four bedroom house which is practically empty or empty mm-hmm. most of the time. I the estate I grew up on an awful lot of my neighbours. Taking yeah. asylum seekers. Yeah, there's there's yeah how much you eight hundred a week is that? There's less people um you know living in the houses. But I wouldn't expect anyone to move away from where they lived all no. their life. Yes. What, yeah. what we should be doing is if you know if you build sixty houses now build you know ten two bedroom houses ten four bedroom houses and build forty three bedroom houses or fifty three bedroom houses and allow people to step up and step down within the community. Sure, wouldn't that be fantastic? That, that's what I'm saying. But, but this is down to planning and uh, like I said. But I mean the planning guidelines are yeah. there to do that. But it seems that the planners then don't apply the guidelines that's, but that, that's, that, that's that some seems sense. to be so the problem got to, like, there's no doubt about it we, we've, we've constantly said this and it's something I say every single time I'm on the radio here planning Paul has said it Mark has alluded to it like I know now in 10 years time how many 65 year olds are going to be in the country because I've got the census figures from here yeah. so I know 10 to 15 years ahead of time how many more extra mm. people are going to be there why aren't we planning for them now instead of waiting for 15 years time and go oh my god we have an extra 100,000 mm. uh, 65 year olds who've no place to go well our way to this plan is, for them is to look at uh, the pension age and try and uh, you know I believe that'd be, that'd be push clever. people you into know, working for longer clever. periods of time but like let's be honest about it and, and I know we joke about all these things but you take Jackie Kell on here this morning Jackie comes on after the problem has arisen and then wonders how to solve the problem yeah, but instead but of coming in, fair, in beforehand in, fair, in fairness to him he said he didn't know he, wasn't sure, he didn't know sure, look I was on here 18 months ago with Gareth Hearn I haven't heard Gareth since Gareth didn't know 18 months ago I don't know what Gareth thinks now you know, and that's not. Being I'm smart. sorry about what now, just for clarity, because you're going to get me into trouble. Oh no, I want I want Gareth's people to ring in because I said I've kept the receipts when Gareth wanted unlimited numbers of people to come in 18 months ago. Right. He never envisaged the fact that we would be in an. Well, we, that's still. We would have the problem that's still now. Still, what Fianna Gael is saying. Th- this is th- still? this. I'm saying this is what they're still saying. I have not heard anything from Alan Kelly. I don't know what Alan Kelly's feeling is on well, this. Well, the Labour Party um, stance is, is quite clear. It's so similar to the government. Why are we constantly hearing these people coming in when we've had a problem, be it in health, be it in roads, be it in hospitals, be it in housing? We know we have a problem. Mm. Why aren't we fixing the problem that's going to come? Which is, like I said, we know we're going to have X amount of older people in 15 years' time. Why aren't we starting to build nursing homes now or starting to build but, in smaller houses into the developments big, the, now the big, the instead big problem, of waiting for that to become the, the problem? problem. That, the big problem with that is, and I think even you can see the way Sinn Féin has even moved in the relation to their, their, their messaging, mm-hmm. is that... like. Before they were even had a chance of getting into government, their thing was we can solve the housing crisis overnight. Mm-hmm. Now they're saying it's probably a two or three government yeah. type thing. But like, we all know, and any, yeah. you don't have to be a rocket science to know, is that anything like housing or, or mm-hmm. infrastructure planning or planning for the elderly is a 20-year plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But governments are, that's four governments. Yeah. 
Yeah. So no one's going to plan for 20 years because something, they had, why would I do something now and make people pay now when I could, I, it all has, well, and our problem they're going to bring down the price of a house in Dublin for <coughs> 300 grand, sure, won't that, be, won't that be fantastic? Yeah, but what about the people who have paid 400 grand for their house and now I'm 100 grand I think grand it's called negative equity, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and we, we had a bit of that in 2008 yeah, and 9 and we all, yeah. we all well, remember with, with, yeah. uh, with still scars. Well, so, neg- negative equity wouldn't bother you unless you had two or three houses to sell because I had negative equity in my house for 15 years and my mortgage didn't change one bit and I still had to live in the house mm. and I still had to pay it. So the yeah. only people who are worried about negative or people who are flipping houses and turning them uh, off no, quickly. No, because it has, it has uh, an economic... If, no, if, if, e- e- if you're paying a mortgage, though, on, on, on 450 grand and the yeah. guy next door has the very same house for 300 grand and he's paying... You, you yeah. know what I mean? Would that not go you a little But bit? hold on a second. I mean, I, I paid... I, I, built my house for maybe 70 or 80,000 25 years ago yes. and the guy who built next door ah, to me no, last ah, year is now so let's be honest about that's it that's not a fair comparison that, that, to what well, I'm saying though. No, I mean, but what, I, what I'm saying no, is negative is, equity brings down an entire economy it's not just it's, it's not, very it's, damaging I mean it's very it, damaging the economy and yes I understand what you're saying is that your value of your house is only worth the time you sell it and certainly yeah. you have no tangible selling but negative equity within an economic tense is actually hugely damaging to an economy because it Absolutely. changes sentiment it, yeah. it is but Mark if you want to go that if you want to go down the economic route what you're trying to say there then is there should be no extra supply in the economy because any extra no, supply no, it has to be sorry we'll, sorry we'll any extra su- any extra yeah. supply in the market according to the economic law of demand will decrease the price of the good that's been sold so if you bring extra supply into the housing market it will bring down the price of houses correct no because correct. It, because, I don't it, because think our demand is increasing extra Follow. supply in no. the market no. i'm never going to worry about the over you know yeah. over over um well, supply we'd, we'd have to build 50,000 a year i believe just to get yeah, we will. That's never going to happen 60. in this country. We need about, we, of course, we will. We were building ninety thousand houses in two thousand and three. No, we were building but I mean, talking about the oversupply, foreign, but we have mainly foreign workers. Yes, and we could build them again if we weren't building less hotels. No, or I'm just less saying, it's blocks. in relation to the planning in this country, yeah. that's never going to happen. They'll never plan. Yeah. A, they, listen, no. their track record of every government that has gone through, and I sit here and the panel every time I go, they don't know how to plan. Yeah. They haven't got a clue. They're not forward thinking. They're reactive. They're not proactive. They need to get their skates and, on. And that brings me to just a final point on it. Just run around you all quickly with this because a couple of people said it to me on the radio over the last few days is we don't know now how t- who to vote for because mm. they're all saying more or less the same thing to us now yeah. we don't see any kind of an opposition out there we're looking at the the independence but really can the independence in any way be effective do, do you see that point uh, Paula that absolutely I wouldn't even know how to but I think we should yeah. set up the tip FM party yeah. um, I think panel party. we'll have a panel party I think it would be very beneficial well, can you understand I that do, people yeah. are frustrated it, it is because yeah. they're all saying the same thing like yeah. you know some of the, the the other parties like Station had a different voice and now their voice is changing and I'm yeah. kind of going okay yeah. you sound different you're yeah. sounding like you're conforming you're yeah. sounding like the rest of them what, what, what about you on that Mark can no, you I'm, understand that no I mean I, I mean I and I and I take the point is I mean you if you took if you look at the fundamental difference we say between Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin and Labour it's semantics mm. yeah. I mean you know okay yes there are there are some policy differences but basically it's a bit of semantics about, and, and especially now more recently that Sinn Féin have come more to centre yes. where I mean there was a they had a very very clear voice 10 years ago mm. You could, they were very much then but now you have anyone who potential of being in government I mean probably the only ones who are completely different voice are the Greens mm. uh, for very different reasons mm. but I would see you know right. uh, they're much and just, just before we go do you want final word on that people frustrated not knowing where to yeah, put course, their votes yeah of course they're frustrated because the problem with politicians nowadays and it's been there for songs they don't want to disagree with anybody they want to agree yeah. with everybody and they want yeah. everybody to agree with them 
They want to be nice so they won't actually say anything. Oh, well, now, in fairness to the government, I can't believe I'm saying that, in fairness to the government. <laughs> but, but they're not being nice. They're, they're, I mean, they're, no, but they're trying to be nice. So many of the people on to us are totally trying, disagreeing. Yeah, they're trying them. to be nice, and, and this is the problem that Sinn Féin have had. They've managed to pull Sinn Féin into a, almost yeah. uh, a headlock that all three of them are saying the one thing, because if we're all saying the one thing, people can't attack us all, <laughs> and they can't change away from us all. And that, oh, that's yeah. a fact. Oh, you all all the birds are sitting on the same yeah, fence. I, I, yes. think, I yeah. think that there is, there is a big space for independence, and I think there's going to be a very big vote for independence in the upcoming local... Well, the last poll on last Sunday yeah. we, we, we saw And European sure. elections. Yeah. But I think independents need to also be proactive and not just against everything. They need to yeah. offer yeah. solutions yeah. as well. There I must leave it. Liam, Paula and Mark, thanks very much. Excellent panel, and thank you so much indeed. Uh, that's it for me. Emma produced Ali, looks after our content. Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Yeah. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.